My name is Michael Lennon. I was originally from Syracuse, New York. I was a corporal and I was with originally 2nd LAR, but uh, deployed with uh, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. And what was your experience like getting into the Corps and why the Corps of all the other choices that you had and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I think I was, uh, I was in college at the time and I'd gone for about two and a half, I think three years. And, um, I was trying to work my way through. So I was working kind of odd jobs at the time. And I think I was just generally pretty frustrated. And I think I probably had that, like, screw this. I'm, I'm done. I'm joining the Marine Corps moment that a lot of people have. And, uh, I think I'd went for the Marine Corps just again for probably the reason that a lot of people do is just you know you know that you expect a challenge and you know that kind of appealed to me for some reason but um but yeah yeah that and then I'd also I had read uh with the old breed on Palu in Okinawa by uh Eugene Sledge and I just I guess really just kind of came to look up to him and just wanted to kind of be like that so so uh yeah, that was, I guess, pretty much my before and, and reasons for going into the Marine Corps. And uh, what was it like getting in and going through, like, the pool program and getting to boot camp? Um, nothing too probably out of the ordinary, I think. I really wasn't in the the uh, depth pool for super long. I think I was probably there for about maybe three weeks. I went to MEPS initially, I think, in, like – early December. And then I ended up shipping in, uh, the following January. So probably about, yeah. Well, yeah, about six ish weeks. And then, um, boot camp went pretty good. Nothing really too crazy or out of the ordinary or anything like that. I guess you could say. But yeah. Um, it's so just a Paris Island in like January, you said, uh, yes. Uh, so I'm sure you had all the fun with the cold. Yeah, I, of course, being from uh, from the north, I made the you know the error of thinking that it doesn't get cold in the south, but it, it definitely did. It's a different kind of cold. Yeah, it definitely is. I remember reading uh, Robert Lucky's helmet from a pillow. Mm-hmm. And he comments on going to Paris Island, and just like you say, he didn't expect the south to get that cold. And he said him and the rest of the guys from the north were shivering and all the guys from the south were laughing at him because like saying like, oh, I thought it gets cold up north, but they don't take into account for like the climate difference and the humidity difference and all that. Exactly. And same exact thing. It was funny. My, you know, friends who I'd made from the south, they're all like, you should be used to this. And I was like, I'm <laughs> different. <laughs> and so uh, what year did you go to boot camp? uh 2018 getting through boot camp and getting to itb that was all that um that was that was pretty good i mean I, you know there's the i guess pretty average boot camp experience that everyone kind of goes through but um yeah like most people i mean i guess just kind of you know you just keep your head down and kind of do what you're told and you know it goes by pretty quickly and felt like forever at the time but i mean looking back on it it feels kind of like a blur almost but but uh yeah that went pretty normal it kind of i guess kind of funny is um well not necessarily funny i guess but uh 
just interesting is I wanted to be a, a 41 originally just because that's what Eugene Sledge was. And then kind of after getting to ITB, uh, me and I think a couple other people, they saw our GT scores and they're like, now nah, you're, you're being 52s. So I didn't really have too much say in it, but, but I mean, I'm happy that it turned out, but um, yeah. Uh, what was your time at ITB like and uh, going through the training there? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, it was, I think it went well. It was, I mean, I, I enjoyed parts of it. I enjoyed like getting to use like new and different weapon systems and stuff. I didn't necessarily love the whole lack of sleep thing. And it was definitely like a shift from boot camp. but, um, overall, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, I guess, as much as one could enjoy ITB, I guess. So yeah, you just got you and a few other guys just got singled out to be fifty twos. Pretty much, I think they were. I think at first they had kind of asked people, and then they had like enough elevens and thirty ones and stuff like that, and um, they started kind of yeah picking people out and like asking their GT scores and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it was. I was one of them. I know Waylon was one of them. I think Fritch also got singled out for his score um i think there were a couple of guys i can't remember exactly but and uh what were you, what were the instructors like were they mostly combat vets or just like a handful of them not combat vets or um at that point it seemed probably like i'd say like three fourths of them were combat vets and then a couple of them were like they had done their first enlistment as like motor t or something like that and then switched over to infantry um, so I, I don't think they were, but yeah, I think probably about three, fours, most of them were, were combat vets. Yeah. I just asked, cause I'm curious, cause all of my instructors, when I went through in 2016, all, but like one or maybe two of them were combat vets. And I'm just curious to see how the, uh, I don't want to say regression, but I guess regression of, uh, that combat experience in the training cycle. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a, a good point. Cause I mean, especially now like kind of seeing you know people from like my group that i went to boot camp with like they're moving into b billets and stuff and obviously like as the wars have died down and stuff it's it's much rarer to kind of come by that so and so i guess you went through graduated boot camp in what march or april mm -hmm. yep, april and so you probably went May, June, ITB. Mm -hmm. um, oh, so you got yeah. through Red Fort. You were, you got through Red Fort. It really got hot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, that was a. As long as you're no joke. Oh, I'm curious. How was y'all's a uh, 20k? It. It wasn't terrible, and I think. I think we had like been one of the first groups i think they had like changed the packing list or something like that so i think it was a little lighter for us so it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible it wasn't really too bad um yeah i think i know our combat instructors were kind of i think a little upset about that because they were just you know they i don't necessarily blame them but, but yeah it, it really wasn't bad especially i'm sure compared to groups who went before us do you kind of remember how heavy y'all's packs were? 
I want to say it came out to like, I, I think like around 40 pounds. I want to say, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was around there. Altogether 40 pounds or like 40 pounds plus the missile or like, uh, not including the missile. I think the, the packing list made it 40 pounds. I want to say. Damn. Yeah. They had like, they had taken it down like a good amount. And our combat instructors were like, you know, you guys, I swear to God, if anyone falls out with this, you know, shortened list, like. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, you said like, yeah, not as much, but damn, that's like my, my pack was 150 pounds with the missile. Jesus, I I might be <laughs> off on the number, and I have to maybe confirm with someone else. But I know for a fact it was definitely a lot, a lot less than the groups had, that had gone before us. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's like oh, on my hike, we had dudes. One of our dudes, his legs started locking up. One of our guys, we, we was it was the very end of the hike. We hiked we hiked back into the quad, and for whatever reason, we he broke formation, just started wandering off. Of course, all the instructors start bitching at him and yelling at him, like, hey, get back in line. Where are you going? And then he just drops. And we're standing there waiting for the rest of the company to get in. Because, you know, 52s, I mean, I mean, we were in the front of the formation. I'm, I don't know if y'all y'all probably were too, huh? I think so. Yeah. So you got to wait for everybody else to get in there. You just stand there with your pack on. And we're just kind of like trying to watch and see what's going on with him. And uh, apparently at one point his heart stopped. Oh some shit goodness. like that. I don't know. He 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 came back around and uh as far as I could tell, like the next day or the day after he was fine. It was just I don't know, it was weird. Jeez. Oh my god, that's insane. I don't know. That was that was a weird thing. Uh yeah. I'd be surprised if they dro- I'm surprised they dropped the weight that much. I mean, I'm not really surprised they dropped the weight, but I'm surprised they dropped it that much. Yeah, I'm trying to, because I'm not sure what it was originally beforehand, and I, again, I might be off a bit on the number, but I know, I one thing I specifically remember was, like, our combat instructors being like, you guys are barely even, you know, infantry marines at this point. <laughs> yeah. Still felt good graduating, though, huh? Definitely did. It definitely did. How was transfer from ITB to uh, your first unit, which I'm assuming you went to LAR first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh... I think we had, it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't too bad. I think that, you know, some people kind of out of that ITB drop uh, may have gone to like groups that definitely had it a bit harder. Ours was, I think, pretty good. Like we, you know, training was difficult and PT was obviously difficult, but like we were never, you know, like mistreated or anything like that at any point. Um, so it was definitely, I mean, you know, I think being, a new infantry Marine in any battalion is definitely a, a bit of a rough spot for those first couple of months, but I think it probably went, you know, as well as it, it could have gone. And again, I mean, we weren't mistreated by anyone or anything like that. So how many guys dropped with you? Oh yeah. I think like 19. And I want to say they split half up with alpha company in LAR and then half with uh, Charlie company. So it was nice having that group of guys to be with, but didn't see each other much. Yeah. We didn't see the alpha guys too much. Um, Charlie, we kind of, luckily we got to work together a lot, but I've, I've heard stories of like, of like 
only like a few dudes or like in some cases, maybe one dude, like being the lone new guy in some spots. And I, I don't envy them. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty rough place to be in. Yeah. Just dropping by yourself, I guess. But yeah, I remember it was, uh, when we dropped, it was about maybe 10 of us all together. Three of us went to Delta company and of that it was, a. Uh, if you remember Sergeant Schultz, it was me, him, and uh, Corporal Son. We went to the uh, Delta Company, and he was the lone mortarman <laughs> to go to to go to Delta. <laughs> he was the newest guy, but luckily we there was like a boot drop like a month for them with uh, Sergeant Paz and all of them, so he wasn't too fresh compared to everybody else, but. Those were rough days for me and Corporal Son for a while, being the only two new 52s in the, what was really a very small 52 section. I certainly believe it. Yes. <laughs> but how was it adjusting to, uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't that rough, but adjusting to like being around LAVs and all, because you're trained on Humvees. I mean, I know that. Mm -hmm. Adjusting to like LAVs for 52. Um, it was, it was definitely an adjustment. And, um, I mean, they had, and I'm sure you probably went through, you know, like the same thing or something similar kind of coming from ITV. Like they had assumed that we were going to, you know, like a, a Victor unit or something like that. So, um, it was kind of weird, but, um, I think, I guess the best thing or the thing that helped the most was just kind of making friends with some 13s and just like, you know, just picking their brains and kind of just asking them just how to do like basic maintenance and how the vehicles worked and stuff like that. But it definitely was like an adjustment from what kind of we thought we'd be doing. Uh, how was this training in general? Um, it was kind of weird at first. Cause I don't think that Charlie was expecting so many 52s to come. So some of us, I think most of us, yeah, I got stuck in like a headquarters platoon. So we got really good at maintenance for a little while, but, um, and then gradually, I think more training ops kind of came, but, uh, at the beginning there, it was kind of like, I felt like our jobs were mostly maintenance for like a couple months, which was kind of weird, but you know. yeah, I mean, that's how, that's how it goes in LAR. That's yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> You're basically a mechanic first and whatever your MOS is second. Yeah. <laughs> how long, I know I asked y'all when y'all first picked up with us, but how long were y'all there before we got back from our deployment? Um, I'm trying to think you guys came back around like summer of 19, wasn't it? Yeah, it was July 19. Okay. Yeah. So I think probably about, I want to say around like 10 or 11 months. So almost a year. Just out of curiosity, how was that? Uh, it is a very, it was, it was just weird. <laughs> I think Waylon and I were like, we were Lance corporals and we were like made VCs, but there wasn't like, well, there was no other senior like weapons guys. So like our platoon sergeant who was a 13, like just, he just kind of like let us do, I don't know. It was just, there was like very little oversight. It just felt like it just, I think we were just kind of, no one really had any clue of what we were doing during that time. It was, it was weird. 
yeah, it was weird all of a sudden having a bunch of uh, guys who just got off of Mew. Because <laughs> you knew supervisors. Yeah, it was, I was, in a way, we were kind of happy about that because it was at least like we had seniors to teach us stuff. Like before we had seniors that were like 13. So we learned, again, like a lot about vehicle maintenance. But um, yeah, then it, we had senior 52s, I think, for a short time. And then I think they got moved to different companies. So. And how was it after that? <laughs> you can talk as much shit as you want. I'm not your sergeant anymore. You guys came back? Or... <laughs> uh, it's just like, I think, I'm trying to think of a, a way to put it. It's like, I feel like the Marine Corps just like constantly shits on you. So it's like, you know, you, you build up, you graduate boot camp. It's like, you're up here and then you go to ITB and you get knocked back down, you know, and then you're graduate to be here up here and then you get knocked back down again that's kind of <laughs> what it was like it's like we felt we had a good handle on you know like all right i think i know what i'm doing here and you guys came back we <laughs> just got knocked back down again <laughs> in a way so but it, it it's kind of again it was good because it was like we you know i think we learned the things that, that we were lacking in but it was just like i think it's just funny how like once you get somewhat comfortable within the marine corps just finds a way to shit on you and just knock you back down a peg <laughs> yeah i remember y'all when i first got you for whatever reason i think y'all were going on a road march or a short fuel adopt something like that if for whatever reason y'all didn't have sappies in uh, most of y'all's flax oh my god yeah i think i remember that <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Jeez, yeah. I think that was one of the few times I actually bitched at y'all. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, I'm trying to think. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I honestly <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> wow, yeah. I remember one day Waylon had the audacity to come down to the ramp without a belt. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, think Sergeant, definitely... I think oh, Sergeant sorry. Mobley saw him first, and he couldn't believe it. He's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I remember, yeah, I think our... Yeah, I think we, <laughs> I think we had uh, we had probably gotten away with a few things at that point. Maybe not some of it intentionally, some of it unintentionally. But I remember, you know, when you guys had got back, like I think a good amount of us had like medium faith, and you guys were like, "No, absolutely not." <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, in hindsight, that's totally fair. <laughs> oh man, I mean, shit, I was barely allowed to have a fucking medium faith. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fuck. I just want to talk about the old days for a while. But no, that's not what we're here for. How was the uh, transfer to 1-8? That, <laughs> that was, again, kind of in that, uh, the whole, like, because, like, you know, once you guys got back, we'd get knocked down again kind of on the totem pole. And it's like, I feel like we finally kind of, you know, had worked ourselves, you know, worked our ways back a little bit and got to a point where we're like, all right, you know, finally somewhat comfortable again and then it's like you know you're switching whole battalions now and i was like god damn it <laughs> but um it actually i was super nervous about it at first and i, I know Waylon kind of was as well but um it actually it went a lot kind of better than i was expecting everyone there was was pretty laid back and um you know they were as long as you kind of i think the thing was like as long as you pretty much just admitted that you'd like you know, weren't up to speed on something, they were totally willing to kind of walk through it with you. I think the issue would have came, it's like, you know, you walk in there and try to, you know, kind of big dick it for lack of a better term and just, 
you know, being an asshole to people that probably would have, would have caused issues. But I mean, it, it, it went really well and everyone there was pretty chill. So, so yeah, within a month, month or two there, I think we had kind of started to, to fit in pretty well with, uh, with cat platoon and everything. And the, how the, did like the, all the Humvee training and ITB like come back to you or did it, or did that, did that take like the full two months or so that you'll have to adjust? Well, the funny thing about that was, uh, was once we got there, we were like, oh, at least we, you know, we have the Humvee train to lean on. And then of course, when we got there, we find out they'd switched to JLTVs at that point. So we had to learn that, that whole new thing as well, which wasn't too crazy, uh, to learn. It wasn't super different from a Humvee. There were like a few differences, I think, in setting up the Sabre and all that, but there's nothing major. So it, it came back or it, we learned it like relatively quickly just because they were, it wasn't too different from the, the Humvees, but it did take a little bit of kind of trial and error and practice and all that. How was it having real Sabres again? <laughs> that was definitely, uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. <laughs> it was kind of like, it's not so much that I guess we'd forgot it. And after messing with the system, it kind of came back to you after a little while, but it was just, we had kind of thought like, Oh, we're, you know, we're reserved to using, you know, the, the, system and LAR and stuff. So we kind of don't need this anymore. And then we did. So. What platoon section did you end up in specifically about one eight? Uh, so I ended up in, uh, originally there was, there was cat one and cat two, and then they ended up like morphing it into just one big cat platoon. Cause I think there was only, there was supposed to be two sections per platoon and there was only enough for like three sections. So they just moved it into one. So I was cat white. And then Waylon actually was cat red and then he got moved to cat white and we ended up in the same vehicle, which was kind of funny, but. And uh, how's it working with those guys? Any kind of like relationships or uh, proficiencies, stuff like that? Um, it was, it was good. It was, um, I think probably the biggest deficiency that we had that him and I had once we got there was, um, just kind of with machine guns. I mean, we'd worked with the 240, but you know, we had done nothing with, uh, the 50 or the mark. So, uh, we definitely had some catching up to do on that, but, um, but I mean, they were super great kind of about, you know, walking us through it and everything, teaching us and, and shit like that. So any guys, I mean, I know you Waylon and Fritch like knew each other from LER and ITB and all that, like any other guys that you like had a close relationship with once y'all got there and got settled in. Um, it was kind of funny cause most of our 11s uh, from ITB that like we were in our ITB class with ended up going to 1-8. So we actually knew more dudes like an Alpha and Charlie there than we thought we would. Um, and then actually some of the 41s too. So so there was actually a good amount of dudes in uh, in weapons company there that we didn't really even expect to know. It was, just, it was kind of funny how it worked out. So it was kind of like a de- delayed class reunion. I was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a whole big weapons reading and pretty much. Well, God, this transfer went pretty smooth because I don't know if I ever expressed it to y'all, but I was a little concerned about, well, one, I hated losing you. And two, I was a little concerned about y'all being able to like fit in at a victory unit after being in LAR. Yeah. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, I was, I was terrified going into it, but, uh, but it, Honestly, could not have gone better. Everyone there was like super laid back and approachable and stuff. Yeah, I was just because I had, you know, I'd heard stories of like from guys like going to like from fast units and then like trying to go to victory units and stuff like that and it not going super well. 
So just even hearing that, I was kind of freaked out. But, but yeah, I was I was surprised honestly at how how well the uh, transfer over was. Yeah, and the uh, the guys that keep hearing from uh, Capleton at one A, they keep talking about this guy named Gunny Cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, well, what have uh, what have they said? If you don't mind me asking, <laughs> I heard. Uh, he was a good dude who knew his shit. He had a uh, third eye or a sixth sense and uh, full of crackhead energy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> that's the perfect description. He, uh, he, fantastic, just like man and Marine all around. I love him to death, but he also, to this day, scares the shit out of me. Like, in a way. <laughs> like, he. He treated us well, and he genuinely cared about you know his dudes, and he he was super knowledgeable uh, as well. But um, like I also at one point during the McCree, like we needed to refuel our trucks, and for whatever reason, uh, like the back panel on one of the JLTVs had a lock on it, and I saw him just there was just this weird look in his eye. He just ripped the metal thing off of like the, the door off of like the hinge or whatever, and just like it was still bent like months later. I don't know how the hell. <laughs> He did it, but yeah, that man's a legend. Well, I mean, that sounds like the crackhead energy I was told about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, when y'all got there, like, how soon did y'all go into the workup for deployment? Um, we, I think it had already started before we got there, but it wasn't too far along. So, um, they had done because I know they were working up to like the twenty mile hike for the McCree. So we had missed a few of those, like those hikes that were uh, like, you know, to help them prep for that. But um, we just kind of jumped in on that. And then, yeah, I think we were, I think it was pretty early on in the workup. I want to say we got there. Cause yeah, y'all did, y'all went over there in uh, January, right? Uh, Was it before or after Christmas uh, lead block? I think it was, I'm trying to think. Cause I think that I want to say, me, Grim, Murphy, and I think maybe with them, I think we got sent to Bravo in LAR. And then we went to, Waylon and I went to 1A in May. Oh, sure. Because I thought y'all had already moved over there before I left. Because I left in, uh, I got out in April. I thought y'all had already transferred over. I'll have to check with Waylon again. I know, I think you're, yeah, I think you're right. It was definitely around that spring time frame. I think it was a little later than January. Because I, I know we, oh, it might've been April actually. Cause we, I went to, uh, what is it? NTC with Bravo and LAR. And then like pretty much as soon as I got back, I got orders. I think that was like later March. So yeah. Yeah. I think you're right actually. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Cause yeah, we lost y'all to Bravo and then mm -hmm. y'all went to one eight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think Waylon stayed with Charlie we or Charlie and LAR, I think. Yeah, that. it was it was him and Miziak who stayed with us, and the rest of y'all went to Bravo. Right. It's it's coming back to me now. <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah. Missing the conditioning hikes. I was the uh, the hike to the McCree. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, so I we kind of lucked out uh, in a way being cat platoon. We had to uh, we got to to drive out there, which I feel kind of bad about for you know my buddies and line company, but. <laughs> But uh, I think we, we did the conditioning hikes up to like the 17 and a half, I think it was. Um, 
which was it was it was a bit of a kick in the ass, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad, I guess. I mean, well, I hated it, but I think most people got through it okay. But uh, but yeah, we got to drive out for the McCree. And uh, how are the field odds for the workup compared to what you'd done before? Um, it was definitely a lot different. Just kind of um, we had done like obviously a lot more. I think the biggest difference was we did a lot more with machine guns, um, just being in in one. Um, but other than that, I guess it wasn't too different. I don't think. think How was it getting? Oh, sorry. I was just saying. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think it was because we spent a good amount of time at like SR7 and SR10 um, in those areas, um, and we did like it was probably about 50-50 like dismounted. And like mounted stuff, but it wasn't super different from LAR, other than just the fact that we had 50s with us instead of, or well, in addition to 240s and stuff. So, what builds did y'all? Uh, what build did you have when you went over there? Um, I was at first I was a VC for our truck, and then uh, when Waylon, we there's a lot of like switching around and stuff like that. But um, Waylon ended up being the VC of our truck, and then I was. Uh, I was the gunner for the uh, the Saber Vic. So you still got to handle like the 240 and the Saber. Mm -hmm. Which I was happy about because I would much, I preferred doing that. I'm not the biggest fan of talking on comms and Waylon was okay with talking on comms. So it kind of worked out. But I always remember you were, to me at least, you were the quiet one. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. I think I remember telling you that in one of our counselings. I'm like, you're good. You just need to speak more. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how much time did y'all did y'all get to cross train with the uh, the thirty ones on the uh, the mark and the fifty a lot, or is it just like sparse? Uh we we got to actually a pretty good amount. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't. Unfortunately, I never got to shoot the fifty or the mark. Uh, I I did get to shoot the two forty more, but um. And I think same could be said for Whalen, but it was kind of funny the way it worked out. Just our platoon or for our section for cat was probably about like 25% 52s, maybe a little more than that. And then the rest were 31s. So, so we got to, I mean, they were really good about like, if we'd ask them to like, you know, take out the guns or something like that, like well on ship, even we got to spend a pretty good amount of time, I think around, around the 50 in the mark. Yeah, McCree was like a, that was like the big field up, right? That was like the big final evaluation for the battalion. Yeah, yeah. Did y'all ever link up with the uh, LER debt they were deploying with during the during the workup? We did actually. It was it was funny because it was I mean it was all guys we knew like Miziak and Akins and and Corbett and uh, McGuire. So it was just it was kind of funny because they were on. Uh, I want to say it was the EO. They were on the bigger ship, but it was funny kind of when our ports would like link up, we would be able to meet up and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Uh, how were the ship ops at the, at the tail end of the blunt, uh, workup? Excuse me. Uh, they were pretty good. At least for us, we were on like the smallest ship. So I was, I mean, I think we were happy about that just cause it was much harder to get lost on the boat, but I mean, they, they weren't too bad. And luckily our, our bird thing was actually, it was, it was pretty nice in the sense that like it wasn't i didn't know how good we had it until we had like uh visited corbett's birthing on like 
the big deck ship and like it was just like rows and rows of like racks and stuff like that like ours was probably i think we had like 20 racks in our birthing and it was like spaced out somewhat decently but i yeah when we went over there i felt terrible <laughs> for, for them it, yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember we told y'all stories about what life on ship was like when we got back, and did that help at all? Or It did. It definitely did. Um, it kind of, yeah, it, it helped on what to expect, stuff like that. But, yeah, our birthing situation wasn't too bad, and it was kind of funny in the, the uh, podcast I listened to of yours with uh, you and Shell. I remembered you mentioning how shitty your conditions were on ship, so I really feel bad. We did, we did luck out on the boat, but same time ship life is ship life i guess and so how was it getting like just getting everything ready and settled for when y'all finally did deploy um it was definitely just being cat there was a lot of like there's a i mean well this goes for you know i guess every section but there was a lot of gear to like you know take accountability of and i think there was some sort of mix up with our armory so we took maybe I don't know. There was some, there was something weird with it where like we, they didn't want anything in the armory when we were gone, but they didn't split it up evenly. So like our armory on ship ended up being like pretty cramped, but um, it went well. It's just, it's funny. Like the, all, most of what I remember for like, from that last like month before deploying was just like a bunch of just gear accountability and SL3 and all that. It was ridiculous. Remind me, I think, you got married before you went to 1A, didn't you? Or was it like right after? Yep. It was, uh, I think it was that Christmas. Yeah. It was that Christmas lead block before we went to, uh, Bravo company in, uh, LAR. Yeah. I think I remember, I think I kind of, I don't know if you had asked me about it or like you just like mentioned it like, Hey, this is what I'm doing on leave. And I was like, all right. I think so. Yeah. I think I remember Yeah, mentioning it. So how was, uh, I mean, how was that getting, uh, you and your wife ready for deployment? Um, it was kind of interesting. Just, I think kind of where, not necessarily LAR itself, but just where we were kind of in LAR, we had, there had been like word that we might go on deployment and then word that we weren't. So it was kind of, it wasn't that I'd like stopped taking things seriously or anything like that. It's just more of like, I think me and like Waylon and even like Corbett and McGuire, I think we were kind of resigned to the fact that we might not ever deploy. And then it was, it kind of went from that to being like, Oh yeah, you're definitely deploying it like this time frame." So it was a bit of a shift, but um, I mean, she was pretty okay with it. And I mean, she had a, a job down there and she had friends at the job and stuff. So I think that probably helped her uh, kind of through that whole process, but. Did y'all get base housing or did y'all have to live off base? Uh, we lived off base. How's it getting everything settled with like the bills and everything? Um, it it wasn't too bad actually. I uh, I'm trying to think. I think I did the uh, I had like the power of attorney uh, document for her. Um, but other than that, we we had just had like an apartment and stuff. So and it was so it wasn't super difficult kind of squaring the bills away and everything luckily yeah I, I just ask about all that because that's something that i speak a lot of folks don't think about especially for like i know deployment is particularly difficult for guys who are married and guys who have relationships back home i mean i mean it was just, i just 
I wasn't married yet. I just had my fiance back home. I mean, that was, that wasn't fun. And, uh, mm-hmm. I know it definitely wasn't fun for her. Uh, yeah, I just know it was like an extra toll, not toll, but it was like, it's just something else you think about that. Uh, I feel like most guys not being married or being single, like don't think about it. And uh, I just feel like a lot of people like don't really th- in general, just don't really think about that, but it's, it's a bit, it's a huge part of preparing yourself for deployment and all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so when you when did y'all finally deploy? Um, I think it was late January, early February of 2021. When we left. <laughs> It's funny because like all the guys I've, I've talked to so far, like y'all said anywhere from January to like March or April, <laughs> y'all all give me different different months. I can definitely see why because I think so. Our last like because of COVID, our last ship op I think started in January, and then it I think it was a month or a month and a half I want to say. So we weren't deployed during that time because we ended up we were like off the coast and we came back to Virginia. And then we officially deployed. So I kind of forget when that exactly was, but I think around like February or March. That's not, that sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. How long did you have to wait to actually load on the ship? Not super long. I know that our, I'm pretty sure they like, they did it in like sticks. So like they drove the vehicles there and I think there was like a vehicle and then like a, a uh, like someone to, that went along with the driver or whatever. So they had, them go from cat and then they kind of had like the rest of us go on buses and i think that was probably like a four day difference i want to say so and then when we got there it probably took like a probably about like a day-ish to load everything on i think just like the vehicles and all that that's, that's not too bad and how was the how's the experience in the section and the platoon of like guys who deployed before or guys who had gone to like been in country before and all that um i know that uh one eight had deployed uh i think a couple of years beforehand to like i think most of them went to norway i think a couple of them went to italy so like most of like the like senior lances and like the corporals they had uh been on that deployment and then like it was it was pretty even because i think pretty shortly after Wayland and i got there like maybe a little bit beforehand there was like a a a, a 31s boot drop so it was probably about 50 50 like guys who had deployed and then guys who hadn't and anybody in the platoon who like been like in deployed to either iraq or afghanistan like uh there was i'm trying to think there was there was gunny cap obviously uh and then i want to say the section leader for red section of cat uh, I'm pretty sure he had been to Iraq, but other than that, I think I think that was pretty much it, at least for for Cat Platoon. And the section leader was that a staff sergeant or a sergeant or? I was a sergeant actually, which was surprising, kind of for that I guess time period. But yeah, I think he was with Seventh Marines. I want to say, and I, I'm pretty sure they they had like their mission in the Middle East. I want to say it was like it, I don't know if they had. I think they had deployed. They they continued deploying there like later than other battalions. I want to say, but I could be wrong about that. Did it like tell you any stories or like expectations of like being on deployment? Um, I remember <laughs> definitely, I mean, definitely gunny cab. He would, you'd kind of give the, the platoon, you know, pep talk, I guess every now and then if you 
want to call it that, but he would, I think his, his biggest thing to us was just kind of like, and it, of course he, I guess had the last laugh in a way about it was just like, he's like, I know that, you know, this is a Mew and everything, but like, you know, you take it seriously, like, you know, take all the training seriously, you know, just, you know, you have to be locked on because, you know, you never know what could happen, I guess, or what you might be called to do and stuff. So it was, it was mainly him, the section leader from, from red kind of, he had, uh, I'm trying to think. It was kind of funny because the, uh, the base that we went to in Kuwait before we went to Afghanistan, he'd actually been there before. So he was like, wow, this is familiar. So he was kind of also on the same, same, uh, way just telling us like, you know, take it seriously. But yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't, I can't think of any like specific stories that they had told us kind of about it. I'm sure they had, I'm just, I'm having trouble remembering. Yeah, that was their biggest thing was just kind of telling us to, you know, not get complacent. I mean, they were right, obviously. Yeah. And, I mean, did y'all, like, take it seriously? Like, was that kind of, like, the general attitude of the section of the platoon or? Um, I think so. I, I think people definitely did. I think there was – it was kind of weird because there were points where, like – because I think that even – on the ship in April, like there was talk about us potentially going to Afghanistan. And um, it would kind of like, you'd hear like rumors and then, um, you know, like you wouldn't hear anything about it for like a couple weeks or something like that. And eventually even in July, like they had told us at one point, like, yeah, you're definitely going. And then three days later we had heard nothing about it. And, you know, they were basically like, it's called off again. So it's not so much that we didn't take it seriously. I think we definitely took it seriously. It was just kind of like, I think throughout that whole process, they were just kind of trying to remind us that like, they were basically just telling us like, yeah, this stuff happened to us kind of before on our deployment, like the whole, like you're going, you're not going, you're going type of thing. So just, um, I think they were just trying to remind us through that whole thing, basically just like, you know, just stay focused and, you know, just don't lose sight of what, you know, your job is, I guess, in a way. Did y'all, when y'all were deploying, I mean, apart from like, well, I guess, well, not even, uh, just like any expectations to where y'all think y'all might've went or, uh, we're going to. Um, we didn't, I don't think we knew kind of right when we were deploying, but, um, I think shortly after we had been told like we were going to go to like, we we're going to stop in Europe. So we were, I think, yeah, I think we we're going to do some training in England and then some in Portugal and stuff like that. So we were kind of, we thought we were going to be mainly like in England and like kind of the Mediterranean area. And, uh, we all got on boat, got settled in and everything. Uh, how was it crossing the Atlantic? Uh, it was, I, uh, I get seasick. So, <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> so, uh, it was an experience, but to say the least, I guess. Did you just like curl up in your rack and like, don't touch me? <laughs> Pretty much like half the time it was that. And then the other half of the time, like, you know, I'd be like, I'd have a, I'd, I'd be like in a shut stall making gagging noises. And I'd hear like one of my guys outside being like, Corporal Ann, is that you throwing up? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to admit to that. <laughs> yeah, you're just, right. I totally. I totally <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> no, they ask you something like that, just tell them the fuck off. <laughs> you're a corporal now, goddammit. Exactly. That's what I should have done. Yeah. <laughs> I was vulnerable. I didn't think of it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all good. 
and uh once y'all were like finally on boat and like y'all now y'all know y'all were stuck together for however many months that y'all were going to be on this thing how was like the relationships and the attitudes of the guys was like just like the camaraderie of the group uh it was pretty funny actually i'm not i'm not sure if anyone mentioned this story uh to you before any of the guys from 18 but um it was uh it got on really well but the first night we were on ship there was actually a fight between two of our dudes and like i guess they were arguing over the locker like which locker one of them was going to be occupying and uh I think one of them was just like, all right, well, let's settle this then. And then the dude, before he, before the guy who even said that knew it was happening, the other dude like popped him like right above the eye and our, our corpsman had to like, you know, patch him up and stuff. And it was just, but the funny thing about that was we had a mechanic deploying with us and we had just met him that morning and he was like going to help us on our JLTVs. It was funny. He didn't tell me until a couple weeks later, because after that, everything was fine and everyone got along super well, but he didn't tell me until a couple weeks later. He was like, that was my first night with you guys. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not going to last here. I mean, yeah. other than that. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're good. This is your interview. Let's keep going. Let's just say, yeah, after, weirdly enough, after that, everything was fine. I don't think there was any, any like, you know, big arguments even after that, but maybe they just needed to get out of their system. I don't know. Did uh, you or Whalen or Frisch get in any fights? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah. You tell me all that big map training was for nothing. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, I should have started something with someone. Was, I, <laughs> and, yeah, not for that. And training was for nothing. It's <laughs> so, like, what was it just, uh, what was it like getting just accommodated the ship life for y'all? It wasn't too bad. And I think, just kind of, again, being on, you know, the smaller ship, I think we lucked out because the things like the ship store and like the chow hall and all that, nothing was too like far away or too much of a walk. And it was, wasn't too, it was, it was hard to like get lost, I guess on it. But um, yeah, after a while, I think we fell into the groove kind of things and we'd mainly just kind of go into the weekly routine of just kind of like pulling guns during the weekdays and going down to the well deck and doing drills and stuff like that. And then usually during the afternoons, I think we would like kick a class in our birthing and stuff like that. Yeah. The whole thing wasn't too bad actually. How was it in the jaw? Hall? <laughs> it was, uh, at first it was, I'm not sure how they fixed it, but, um, at first it was like the wait time was like ridiculous, like probably like, two-ish hours and I'd, i've heard that from other ships as well that it was like stuff like that and in some cases i think maybe even a little worse but um but they after i think a month they must have got like a system going or something because they they figured it out and it, it cut down the time dramatically but yeah the first month was just like it's like do i really want to eat you know lunch or do i just <laughs> or i can just hang out and not wait two and a half hours but on boat just in general how was the how's the communication uh like ship phone or anything like that letters uh, we did have a ship phone and it it was pretty good our staff sergeant was pretty good about like keeping us kind of in the know as much as he could i guess but he was he got us like a i think a card or like a at least like a piece of right in the rain with like the numbers written on it that we might need and stuff like that so so yeah that was pretty helpful did you get a chance to like talk to your wife at all or send her a letter or get a letter from her or, or just family? Um, I, uh, I actually, I was able to email her a good amount. I would get letters occasionally from, from friends or from her, but I was surprised actually that, um, 
that uh, it was because my I'm trying to think I forget if it was like the nipper or the sipper account or whatever but um they were good about getting those out to us and stuff so I was able to email my wife and like family back home would not super awesome but a pretty decent amount where'd y'all end up going first uh first was we stopped in uh England actually so that was a pretty good time I know that I think Alpha had a training op there. I think that was it. And then I think the rest of us, we just got Liberty on the pier because COVID was still pretty, pretty big factor at that point. Yeah, it was a uh, beer on the pier. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was good. It was, yeah, it was, it was a good time. It was definitely good to get off the ship after I think it'd been like maybe a month, ish, month and a half. Nothing else to say about it. Because I was told the very first interview I did, somebody shit in a cup and left it in the porter shitter. And I'm making it my mission now to figure out who the fuck that was. Yeah, you know, I forgot about that actually now that you mentioned it. (laughs) Yeah, and oh my God, I completely forgot about that. We were like, we had like a full on, like, we had discussions about that. Oh my, (laughs) I completely forgot about that. We had discussions about it because our argument was like, you have to be drunk enough to want to shit in a cup, but you also have to be sober enough to have the precision to be able to do it. <laughs> so we are like, what kind of sick and twisted individual <laughs> would be able to pull something like that off? We never, we never found out who did it, but, but yeah, no. Nah, <laughs> oh my God. I forgot about that completely. Yeah, I know a lot of the other guys were saying, uh, some of the other guys were saying, like, they just went ham on the beer. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think just the, uh, I think everyone was tired of being cooped up on ships, so we may have let loose maybe a bit more than we should have, but, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, was... Did you participate or did you play damage control? No, I, I participated, and I, I, <laughs> I think actually safe to say that was probably the drunkest I've ever been in my life. I I've actually I've, <laughs> I I'm glad to say I do not drink like that anymore. <laughs> but that was that was bad. That was yeah. That was I'm I'm not proud of that at all. <laughs> if you can remember, out of like all all the guys in the section, who you think did it worse? Like got the drunkest? Oh geez. Um. There, oh God, I don't want, I feel bad throwing him under the bus, but probably our mechanic, uh, he, he liked to party a bit, <laughs> not, not knocking him either, but just, yeah, he, uh, he liked to get down, I guess you could say. I mean, that's one thing you should have learned to LAR, the mechanics, uh, <laughs> give a mechanic a beer, they'll never stop at just one. That is entirely true. That's it. <laughs> they won't stop when they get to 10 either. You're absolutely right. And it was funny. <laughs> we got two mechanics. One went to our section, white section. The other went to blue section. And uh, yeah, they both, they both got down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So uh, how long did y'all end up staying uh, in England and where'd y'all go from there? Um, I think we'd stay in England a pretty good amount of time. I want to say it was probably about maybe five days, give or take a day. And then, after that, we went to Portugal, and then it was uh, same thing, beer on the pier there. And then we actually did a training op in Portugal after that, which was 
it was pretty cool. It wasn't, you know, nothing too crazy. I don't even think we got live rounds or anything like that, but, but I mean, it went pretty well. How's it getting the, getting the train, uh, outside the U S for, well, yeah, for y'all probably would be the first time. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, cause we got to, uh, we linked up with like the Portuguese, uh, military a little bit and, uh, we'd done some like some convoy ops type of stuff with them. Our, uh, the JLTVs were so fucking heavy that they would like pretty much sink in the sand. So they were getting stuck like every second or third run we would do. <laughs> But I mean, it was definitely an experience. It was, it was interesting. I mean, that was my first time being out of the U.S. So working with dudes who I didn't even share a language with was kind of kind of interesting. But yeah, were you all able to communicate with them enough, or like did anyone speak English, or did somebody in the in the section or platoon like speak Portuguese? Or um, a few of them spoke pretty decent-ish, kind of like broken English, kind of. But I mean, we were able to talk with them enough to kind of figure out stuff during training, I guess. And I know some guys like treated like cat platoon shirts for like, like Portuguese military skivvy shirts or whatever. And, uh, one of the, a couple of the guys had mentioned, uh, like towards the end of y'all's time there, y'all just went and hung out at the beach for a while. Oh my God. Yeah. That was actually, that was a lot of fun. They, uh, our, I think our first Sergeant and I think maybe our master Sergeant as well. They had went out, like they had somehow gotten a car and went out in town and bought like a bunch of, like basically just meat for us to cook. So like someone cut like a section of a fence and they dug a hole and put a fire on it and then put the, the meat on the fence, which I'm probably, I'm sure there's probably, there's probably something wrong with that meat after cooking it that way. <laughs> but it was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. He said it was kind of like a makeshift warriors night for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. We got to go swimming before that too on the beach, which was a good time. So how, was, how was it swimming in the Atlantic? It was it was good. It was, I think it was a little. I'm trying to think when it was. I think it was still April around that time frame, so it was a little colder, but it wasn't too bad. And uh, just like going around and like seeing all this, I mean, new stuff for the first time. Like, did anybody like leave like a particular impression on you, or like make you see things a different way, or? Um, not. I'm trying to think. Not really too much, I guess. Just. There were definitely cool experiences, I guess, maybe because of COVID, just kind of being on the pier, we didn't get to like fully experience kind of like a different like places, culture, like a different city in a different place. So it was kind of limited in a way, but it still was, was very cool to see and kind of, I guess, taking a, a little bit, you know, of a, a different countries like culture and stuff. I think two of the guys I've talked to so far mentioned that at one point there was a Russian ship shadowing y'all or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they had told us on the boat that I guess a Russian ship was shadowing us and pretty much just, we couldn't use like, even if it was on airplane mode, like a cell phone or like a, even like an Xbox and stuff like that. So yeah. Cause they were worried that they would be able to track it somehow. I think, but I think that lasted like, I think that was mainly like around the UK and like Portugal and Spain area. And I think that probably lasted like a day or two, I want to say. So I just weren't allowed to like play games or be on else phones or anything during that time. Pretty much. So it was just, it was a lot of, a lot of cards and like someone had brought a DVD player. So it was a lot of that <laughs> for those two days. People were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and so after Portugal, where'd y'all go next? Um, I think Spain. 
Yeah, it was Spain, and we didn't do any training there. I think that was just another Liberty type of thing. Although that was actually a little better because, like, we were at Rota, Spain, and I, I guess there was a naval base there, so we were actually able to go on the base and, like, go to the PX and stuff, which was nice. Yeah, I remember that was our that was our last stop on our deployment was Rota. We got to go to the commissary, the PX, the uh, MCCS, or whatever the Navy calls it, the little community center. Hung out there for a while. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked that area. It was pretty, pretty good to kind of have that stuff. I'm sorry, y'all didn't get actually like get to go into like the town of Rota, but the, the base ain't bad. So at least y'all got to do that. Yeah, I was I was happy. I got to play a round of golf on the base. I was pretty pretty happy about that. But yeah, I was a little bummed that you know we couldn't go out into town anywhere. But I mean, it, it, you know, it's definitely the worst things in life stuff. So. I wish I could have remembered. I would have thought about it when y'all, when y'all left. Well, yeah, because uh, we, while we were there, we had ran into the guy who was, uh, I forget if he was retired. I think he was like retired Navy or something like that. But he was stationed over there, or well, signed over there. He was in charge of the commissary. Oh, we shit. met him out in town. And the captain of the ship had said specifically that we're not allowed to drink when we're out in town. But... Of course, being, you know, everybody breaks that rule second to get out in town. And uh, he bought us a Nutella pizza. And when I say this thing was covered in rum, this thing was covered in rum. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, yeah, he was talking about, like, if y'all need anything while y'all are here, just ask for me. Come find me and uh, I'll get it for you. That's I run awesome. this town. <laughs> and, that um, is awesome. Yeah. If I could remember his name, if, if he happened to still be there while y'all were there, I would have. I would have passed that along, but I just, I don't, I can't even remember his name now. So after y'all spent some time in Spain, uh, after I'm guessing y'all went through the Strait of Gibraltar right after that? Um, I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Cause yeah, I know we had stopped in Greece. I can't remember. I'm terrible with geography. I can't remember if that was after or before. Well, I know Strait of Gibraltar, it's like, uh, so Gibraltar is like the southernmost point of Spain. And it's like the tip of Morocco, which is like North Africa. And it's like pretty close together. So you just like, it's like how you get into the med. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. And, uh, from what I've heard, that was like y'all's first straight crossing and y'all posted security on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They had, uh, we had basically just kind of brought our trucks up from the well deck and we had like two kind of on like the very back of the ship and we had one in the middle. I think we had. The two trucks on the sides, I think they had 50s on them. And then the one in the middle just had like the saber without like the launch tube on it. And they were just, we were just using it for like tracking stuff and, you know, scan the area. How much room did y'all have like on the actual like surface of the ship? That's okay. I'm trying to think. There was a lot of it that was taken up by like Connex boxes and stuff. I, there was enough to pretty much just land like one like osprey i think and even that was like cutting it a little close i think or no, it wasn't necessarily cutting it close but there wasn't i mean with the osprey on it like when it was landing there was there really wasn't room for anything else were you all like allowed to like go up there at all or like be outside of the ship at all yeah yeah we were yeah we were allowed to go on the the flight deck a good amount um like we would pt up there sometimes and then under that i think kind of further back there was like an exposed area that we were able to go on we were pretty much able to go almost anywhere unless it was like 
kind of like nighttime or like if they were doing like flight operations, obviously. But but y'all got to go up there like pretty often. Mm-hmm. And uh, going through the med and uh, what was y'all's next stop? Um, I guess yeah, probably after that, I think it would have been it would have been Greece. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was Cruise. And then that was that was pretty I mean it was pretty similar to the other ones. They had like at that point I think it was like all three ships had stopped there, whereas a couple of the ones before I think it was us and maybe one other boat. So that was kinda like that was cool because we got to see a lot of the LAR dudes for like the first time in a couple months. And same with like our buddies from like Alpha Company because they were on uh the Evo, I think. I mean, just how was that reunion? Like, did y'all get to, like, do anything, like, on the pier or, like? Yeah, it was actually, they had a, a good amount of stuff for us laid out, which I think they later regretted because they, <laughs> they had, like, they had, like, a stage where, like, I think people were, like, singing and dancing, I guess, the first night. Uh, we weren't even there yet, actually, but I think the first night it was the Evo. I guess some dudes had gotten too drunk and they were yelling something on the stage. So I think the music was, like, I think it was like much more monitored after that. But I mean, they had a good amount of like tables and stuff set out on the pier, and they had some vendors selling food and stuff. So it was it was pretty nice. We got to like talk and eat and hang out. What was your impression of uh, just the area that y'all were in? I uh, it was it was like it was really nice. It was very like mountainous, and like the water was very pretty and stuff like that. So I just remember thinking like the nature there looked like really cool and everything. I, I just say that because like I know that was, that was our first stop when we were deployed. We went there first, and uh, a couple of the other guys, I, I guess like the younger dudes in the section, uh, they were really kind of amazed by the by the spectacle of it. Yeah, yeah, I remember thinking it was it was yeah it was beautiful, but like the landscaping and everything it was very cool. They also said uh, the ship like sponsored a couple tours. I don't know if you tried to get in on that or not. Uh, I did. Unfortunately, it was kind of limited space, but uh, yeah, I wasn't able to get on one. But I know that the guys that went on it, they said it was really cool. Like, I think some of them were like hiking. I think there was maybe like a wine tour or something like that. But it sounded pretty, like a pretty good time. Did you try to get on it or just didn't get it or you just like didn't bother? Uh, well, I initially was going to try and I think it was like a, a raffle system. And I saw like how many people had signed up already. And I was like, eh, <laughs> I don't think that I have a good shot at getting this. How long did y'all stay there? Um, I want to say like four or five days, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so stopping there and uh, did y'all have an idea like where y'all were going or is just like along for the ride and where'd y'all end up? Um, At that point, I think it was, I personally was, you know, I felt like I was along for the ride because uh, <laughs> there had it almost seemed like no one really knew kind of where we were going after that. I think there had been talk about like us eventually maybe going up and doing some like training in like Georgia or something like that. But um, then there was also talk of, I think at that point, the whole, like there'd been like some talk kind of about uh, again, like the whole like potential of, of going to Afghanistan. But at that point it was just kind of rumors. So yeah, we no one really knew. I think we were just pretty much along for the ride. Uh, do you remember going through the Suez? I do. Yeah, that was, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I'm trying to, I can't remember how long it took, but yeah, I, 
I just remember it being like fairly hot up in the the turret, moving the saber around and stuff. Do you remember anything like you saw or like where you were oriented on the ship going through? Or um, I'm trying to think. I re- I remember seeing. I don't think I personally saw anything too crazy. Maybe just from when my shift was, because I know we we kind of split it up between the sections. So I think mine was fairly early, like in the morning when it was still like before the sun had came up, I think. So I remember seeing some fishermen, but I don't think I saw anything too, too out of the ordinary at least. Yeah, I know us going through, I mean, didn't see anything. It was just, I forget. I don't know if that was like the longest, I think that was like the longest tending like straight crossing that we did. I don't know if you remember how long it took y'all to get through there. I don't off the top of my I I want to say it was around like I think maybe 20 hours, but I might be off on that. Yeah, I think it might be similar to us. Yeah. Cuz it, it took like almost all day. Yeah. And uh finally getting through the Suez and getting into the uh getting through there. Do you remember where you ended up next? I'm trying to think. Let me see. I'm actually. I'm gonna pull up a map because I'm so terrible at geography. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. See that spit us out. Because I can. I remember the countries. It's just the order gets a little hazy. <laughs> okay. I want to say after. Yeah. After that, I'm pretty sure we went to Jordan. Had to. Had to be sure. <laughs> what was it like there? Um. I think it was. I mean. It was definitely hot. There's a lot of. Very hot and sandy. I uh, I ended up staying back on the ship because I, I there was like a weird like it was it was like a thing with like medical or something like that. Like I wasn't allowed in like in that area, and then like a month later, I got like a waiver, so I was able to go into like areas in Fifth Fleet. It was it was a weird thing, but I know that they did a uh, the guys from our section did like a uh, pretty much like a month long training op in Jordan, which they all described as quite miserable, but uh, I was on the ship just kind of helping out with combat cargo during that time. So, so it wasn't too bad. I just imagine uh, all the guys coming back and they're all tan and shit. And then you just been like hanging out like, Hey guys, welcome back. Yeah. And they're just like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That happened to us. uh, Not in Jordan, but in Oman, Uh, me, uh, Mobley and Garvey, and I think most of the 41s, we all got off in Oman. We attached to like a 2-1s cap platoon and a, their mortar platoon. And when we got back, we were all tan as shit, covered in sand and dirt. And then the guys that stayed behind were, were so pale compared to us. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, after, yeah, I guess after Jordan, where'd y'all go? Uh, one thing, after Jordan... We stopped in Bahrain uh, very briefly. And then after that, I think we went and staged in Kuwait. What was Kuwait like? That was, that was, uh, it was very hot. It was like, yeah, the, like, one thing I just remember is like the wind would blow and it would like, it would feel like, you know, like when you open an oven and it kind of like hits you. It's just like, I had never experienced heat like that in my life. <laughs> Uh, a couple of guys said that like like half a dozen dudes almost like heat case just getting off the boat into Kuwait. Yeah, yeah, like the uh the uh what was it? The LCAC ride over like 
there's a lot of dudes who I think with combat card and stuff, because our staff sergeant was like, he was making the joke. He's like, geez, you guys pound energy drinks all day and you smoke a pack a day and you wonder why you're passing out in the heat, drink some goddamn water. But he was, but yeah, there was, there was a lot of dudes that I think went down the Alcac ride and it was, it was pretty miserable. I mean, I, you know, I was okay, but the, yeah, the Alcac ride was not fun. I never had a good time on an Alcac ride. No, I, I don't <laughs> I think the first LCAC ride that I ever had, I almost died. Like, literally almost died. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, uh, whoever the pilot was for the LCAC, he hit the side of the ship. And you know how there's, like, where you all sit in, like, that little tiny cabin. And there's, like, uh, shelves and drawers and stuff above you. Mm-hmm. Well, he hit the side of the boat. The drawer popped open and what and something fell out right past my head and like landed right next to my foot and I looked at it and it had to have been like a 50 60 pound like valve or something just like went phew. oh my god I was like because I'm and I was focused at the time I just not like not throwing up because I was getting seasick as hell and like I just like looked at it and he just like kept looking at my feet and I think Perkins he was sitting right next to me he was like and somebody was sitting across from me. I can't remember who it was, but they're like, dude, you almost just died. I'm like, I'm just focused on not throwing up right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah those, those things are miserable. <laughs> I mean, did the heat on the Elkac prepare y'all before the heat when you actually got to shore? Uh, in, oddly, in a way, it kind of did. Because I guess I, yeah, because in Kuwait, I guess I was still like, it was still hot and everything. But I, yeah, I was not nearly as miserable as I was on the Elkac. <laughs> Everything gets better with perspective. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so getting off in Kuwait, where y'all, uh, how's getting from, I guess the pe- the dock or uh, the dock or the beach and getting to wherever y'all were going. Uh that was actually it was, it was pretty good. It was a huge relief because like they took us, they had like contracted out like buses and the buses had AC on them, so that was that was a godsend. But um. Yeah, the ride over was nothing too crazy. I, then uh, we went to a, I think it was Al Jabber Air Base, and uh, and like I think they, the airmen at like the gate, like the security guys, like I think they had to stop for like a good amount of time. I think that just because they were like, I'm not sure if they needed like a manifest for you know how many people and who was going on, but I, I know we waited there for a good amount of time, and then yeah, and we went on to the base and found our hooch and everything like that and got settled. How's the living conditions? It actually, it we were kind of surprised with how, I mean, it wasn't crazy, but it's like, you know, it. I'm sure you like, you know, for like Air Force standards versus like Marine Corps standards, like I think for them it was roughing it, but for us it was like, it was amazing. We had like bunk beds and a, like secretaries and stuff and like all the rooms were AC'd and there was like Wi-Fi in some of the areas. So we were like, we were thrilled. <laughs> With, with the conditions but yeah how many guys were, uh, how many guys were staying in the rooms and all that um probably about four per room all right so like pretty much back back at the barracks yeah pretty much yeah there was there was one instance where like the uh the hooches were a little run down someone like went to get down off the top of their bunk and they their feet just went through the floor so they had to like get a board to cover it but for the most part, it was they weren't condition weren't too bad. And uh, what was life like on the on the base? What'd y'all have? Uh that was that was pretty good as well. Especially that was like I think my first time in like an Air Force 
chow hall. So like we were shocked at how good it was. Uh, we were stocking up on like cereal and sandwiches and all that, and like bringing them back to our rooms. But yeah, they had, they had a pretty decent chow hall. They had a pretty good gym. Uh, they had a basketball court, which was pretty cool. They actually had a, a pretty decent MWR as well, where you could like watch movies and stuff. So yeah, it was conditions were pretty good. And uh, uh, I forgot to ask this: uh, when y'all were just out on deployment in general, did y'all have like a favorite movie or something like everybody watched, or did you have a favorite movie that you watched on repeat? Oh man, that's a good, that's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, I know a lot of dudes had gotten into anime stuff like that. Um, we would watch, uh, we watched like a lot of sports movies. I think like uh, we watched like Friday Night Lights and. Uh, the longest yard and stuff like that. A lot of football movies. I think yeah, I think it was mainly just sports movies. Yeah, I remember from my diploma. It was it was surprising to see how many guys got into anime too. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like big, you know, like strong ass dudes you never suspect and just like, oh yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. I remember specifically it was always the uh I'll say the dark green marines who were really into it. And it wasn't just like being into like just anime in general. Like they were into like the weird stuff. Like I remember walking through the common area one day, and it was a, uh, I think it was Sniper's Doc. He was just sitting at one of the small like little tables on his laptop, and it was like anime. It was anime playing. It was like, it was like some weird shit. I was like, what the fuck? You know, I, that is that is weirdly accurate. That is that definitely tracks with <laughs> with what I what I saw on ship. Uh, it's just a little stuff like that that you, you don't know why you remember it, but you just do. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, uh, I mean, how being on Kuwait, uh, I guess one, how, I mean, I know y'all didn't stop training. Y'all probably kept on training and, and then, uh, what's the training like? And just how was the word situation like developing just around y'all? Like not necessarily if y'all are going to Afghanistan or not, just like word to like anything that was going on or where y'all were going to go from Kuwait or how long y'all were going to be in Kuwait and stuff like that. Um, it was, it was changing pretty frequently. It was, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to go back on the ship or if we we're going to stay there and fly out of there. And I think, I think word had possibly come down that we were going to be flying out of there, but we didn't know originally, like we were aware that like we were staging, uh, in Kuwait simply to, eventually possibly go to afghanistan but i think as time went on it's not that we were taking it less seriously it's just like as as it got closer to kind of the august 31st deadline i think more more and more people were kind of like all right you know if something was gonna happen it might have happened by now but um yeah word was i mean it came down pretty frequently it was just kind of it was also changing pretty frequently so i, I know i had no idea what was going on i think a lot of people probably felt that way as well Y'all were aware of the third, uh, August 31st timeline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I forget. I'm trying to remember. I forget if my mind is a little hazy on the series of events. I thought that I want to say I think Trump had like established a deadline for like we're going to have, you know, American troops out of Afghanistan by this date. And I think Biden might have moved it back i want to say i i thought trump's was originally september 11th and i think that i thought that uh biden moved it back to august 31st so i think we were aware of that we just weren't super sure of how they were going to pull it off i guess 
Yeah, I know uh, when uh, the Trump administration signed the uh, Doha agreements with the Taliban, it was like all U.S. troops out by uh, May 1st. And then when the Biden administration came in, they canceled all that. And I think they originally said September 11th, and then they put and then they pushed it forward to the 31st of August. Yeah, I, I was just curious if y'all like knew like that timeline hadn't been set. I mean that that uh that date had been set or anything like that. Yeah, I, I know myself and like pretty much I think everyone around me. And I'm I'm assuming probably yeah a good amount of people there like we were I think aware kind of of the deadline for having like U.S. troops out. It was just kind of as we got closer to it, we were just kind of like more and more uncertain of how that was going to play out. I guess you'd say. And uh, what kind of training did y'all do while y'all were there? Um, we, uh, I'm trying to think. We had, um, for CAT and then for, I know for like the line companies, we had all like individually kind of hooked up with um, like the Air Force security force dudes on base. And we would like kind of run like security patrols and stuff with them um, just kind of around the base just to help out and I guess kind of stay busy. And then we would do like foot patrols on base and stuff like that. And then I know that there was one point where we did like a mock, like evacuation kind of like screening, uh, type of thing. Whereas we were actually like, I know all the dudes from weapons, like we were actually acting as like, you know, the civilians getting evacuated. Then Bravo company was running like the, uh, the checkpoints and everything uh for like the mock setup there which was which was was kind of interesting but i know there's gotta be at least one or two stories from that they i'm sure that well i <laughs> i uh i'm trying to i had um i'm not i'm not really sure how to say it other than just like when they i was like pretending to be like a father in like our family group or whatever. And I think Waylon was the mother and then our driver was our daughter. <laughs> no one else yeah. is going to understand how perfect that setup is. <laughs> no one else is going to understand. It really did fit super well. <laughs> oh my God. But uh, yeah, no, when uh when we had gotten like past the uh, checkpoint or whatever, like we gotten past the search area, they put us in a tent to like search us. And then um, the dude from Bravo searching me, he pulled, he pulled no punches. He just, you know, during the credit card swipe, he just, he just went for it. And that was very uncomfortable. <laughs> Not really sure what else to say about that. But, uh... When they went to search your, uh, when they went to search your wife, did you protect? <laughs> well, it was actually, it was funny because um, we had done multiple runs in order to like, you know, get just, just, you know, get more reps through. So um, the first time around, I'm pretty sure I was the wife and Waylon was the husband. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure those, those are set up. But um, they had, uh, they had it like, they had one tent set up for like, you know, male Marines, you know, searching males. And they had another tent set up for, you know, female Marines searching the females. Cause obviously, you know, like it makes sense. Like in country you'd want, you know, female searching them, but there it was super uncomfortable. Cause there was no female, like, you know, people pretending to be civilians. So like I was, at that point I was just like, I don't know. I'd, 
I rather would have been searched by the males again because it was just it was just kind of weird just going through that one time pretending to be a woman <laughs> searched by a woman <laughs> being addressed as man and all that. It was <laughs> remind me to not let Whalen get away with not telling those stories. <laughs> yeah, we were we were a couple at one point and we had a daughter. <laughs> Who was the daughter? I'm curious. Uh, he was he was uh, he was our driver from one eight for our trap season. He was a kid named Mary. He was he was, it was just yeah, it was a shit shop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, that's that's great because I just heard about that. Uh, I did an interview Wednesday. And uh, that was the first I had heard about that uh, whole scenario set up. I was like, oh, God, why, why have I not heard about this before? Yeah, it was it was hilarious just in the whole, like, I'm sure you can imagine a bunch of, you know, idiot Marines pretending to be women and how that would go. And then the Marines in the search tent just pulling no punches and just jumping their hands up people's asses. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Was there anybody that particularly like went all out with whatever part they were playing? Uh there <laughs> there was there was one dude who was he was a he was a civilian like pretending to be a civilian and he was like making his point like making it his point to be like as much of a you know of a burden as he could be kind of on the Marines like acting through the scenario so at one point he was like he stepped out of line and he like pretended to start running somewhere and uh, one of the Marines who like I think I think that guy had been like like tossing like rocks and trash at them earlier or something like that. So one of the Marines who was annoyed at that and saw him running just laid his ass out. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. And he he didn't do it anymore after that. So <laughs> were the staff and COs and everybody involved in that too, or was it just the uh, E fives and below? Uh, it was mainly E fives and below. They had uh, they had staff kind of you know like. Uh, I guess kind of like supervising and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, I think it was mainly people running through, I think we're E5 and below. Uh, just the stories I've heard about Gunny Cap so far, I think that would, would have been hilarious if he had participated. <laughs> oh God, I can only, yeah, he was, he was, he wasn't there for that, but he, I can only imagine. <laughs> feel sorry for any uh, junior Marine who had to manhandle him and search him. Oh my God. Well, it was funny because at one point our Sergeant, when we were training on algebra, he thought it'd be funny to like detain gunny cap. And he put, uh, he had just one, uh, one of our like Lance Corporal machine gunners being the guy that detained him. And he was like, I, <laughs> I felt bad for him. Cause I was like, I don't want to be the one that detained him. So, so he, he, uh, gunny cap actually went along with it and he was happy about it. Cause he was like, this is some good training guys and stuff like that. But the whole time, like our, uh, the dude was like, you know, like holding him like with his hands behind his back. He was just pretty much harassing him. Just like, where are we going, Playboy? You run the show now? What are we doing? Just, <laughs> just, just, yeah. It's just, yeah. It's very I, I, I can only imagine. Like, could you imagine, like, yeah, y'all knew, y'all knew Staff Sergeant Lauer. Oh, yeah. 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 You can only, I can only imagine him going through some shit like that. <laughs> oh, my God. He'd be so belligerent. He he would. I couldn't even imagine. Honestly. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I wish we did stuff like that when we were there. Shit. 
I think we just did a couple ranges and that's all we did. And so, uh, you're saying like the words changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a point where it kind of became like solidify, like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And this is when. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, it was like, it was, I think like the span of an afternoon, I think rumors started circulating that like we were going. And then at one point, like all company, like leadership and stuff like that, even like gunny cap. And I think our staff sergeant, who was our section leader, uh, like they had all disappeared because they were like in a meeting at the CP. And uh, I just remember like us being in our room and like watching like CNN on our phones and like the, uh, um, like the spokesperson, I forget exactly his position, like the spokesperson, like I think for like the DOD or something like that. I, I know I'm messing up the title, but um, he was essentially saying like, yeah, you know, we got a, a special MAGCAF in the area and like a, you know, Marine Expeditionary Unit in the area, you know, for uh, in order to help out at the airport. And we were like, oh shit, that's us. And uh, not too long after that had happened, like Gunny Cap came in and he just, you know, emotionless look on his face. He's like, you know, everyone get in the lounge, like right fucking now. And we we're just kind of like, you know, oh shit. And uh, he pretty much just pulled us in and like just kind of gave us the rundown. And it was like that moment, it was like, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we're going. And it was, uh, and it was, it was, I'm probably going to say the word surreal a lot, but it was, yeah, it was a very surreal like feeling, I guess. Do you know kind of route like what, what day or what time y'all did get that word? Um, probably around August 11th, maybe give or take a few days. Cause I know that I want to say like Alpha and Charlie company got flown in around like the 14th. And I think we got there the 16th. So I want to say, well, it might've been the 12th actually. It, it was around like kind of, yeah, like August 11th or 12th. And so, like, when y'all did get the word, did, like, the attitude in the platoon, in the section, did, was, like, a switch flipped? Or or was it just, like, still, like, disbelief? Or um, I would I would definitely say, yeah, I definitely think kind of a switch flipped. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it was just, like, yeah. I, yeah, I guess that's the perfect way to describe it. Kind of like a switch had flipped. Like, again, we had all taking it seriously up until that point. But I think, again, like the closer we got to the deadline, I think we had kind of started figuring like, you know, we might just wait it out here and then they might just, you know, fly us home after that. So, uh, yeah, everyone was was like, they were still joking around, obviously, but it was, it was still pretty, I mean, everyone was like very serious, I think, kind of after that, I guess it was. What were the emotions that like you felt or – even not necessarily you felt, but you could see in like the other guys in the section at least, or even guys just in your truck. Like, I think it was just like maybe I, maybe I'm projecting a bit here too, but it's like it just seemed kind of like this stunned acceptance. I think like most people were just kind of like not necessarily in shock, but it was just like you know like oh shit okay this is all right this is what we're doing, um, and I guess it was besides like you know, obviously like doing things to get ready and like, you know, getting our gear and all that, like not really, I think many people had much to say about it kind of other than just like, all right, you know, like I think just stunned acceptance was, is probably the best way to put it. Cause I guess at least me personally, and I think maybe, you know, the people around me, there was like probably some level of just kind of surprise to it. So. How's the shift in tempo between getting that word and when y'all did finally leave the uh 
I guess this is kind of a funny silver line of the situation, but Gunny Cap is like always like 110% just on. So it was kind of interesting because he, even during training, like he was, you know, still very high energy and stuff. So it was pretty much just like almost business with usual with him in a way, which was, I think it was actually kind of calming in a way, just seeing that he was like, you know, he was handling everything and he kind of knew how to handle it. But yeah. Yeah. So after that, I mean, we'd run drills kind of before about like getting all our gear packed up and seeing how, you know, quickly we could do it. Cause they would like time us and stuff. So we pretty much just kind of did that again and then just waited to be sent to uh, the other air base, Ali Salim in Kuwait, where we would fly out from. How were the drills to get y'all stuff packed and everything? Uh, they were, I mean, a little hectic, and I totally understand why um, they needed to be. Because um, when the time came to do it, it was, you know, pretty simple and easy because we had done it before. But uh, yeah, Gunny Cap was. <laughs> You know, he's just running around. He's like, I swear to God, you know, you, you hurry up. If you don't hurry up, I am choking you out right now. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> when, like, the final time y'all did do that and y'all did, like, stage to go and y'all were going, how'd all that go down? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I think it went, I think it went fairly smoothly. Um, again, just kind of because, like, you know, doing it before, I know we had, I'm trying to think we had packed like our main packs onto like a truck and then we had all like, you know, gotten our kit and a day pack and we went on the a bus to Ali Salim there. And then we, when we got there, we like put all the main packs on like a pallet with like, like one of those ones that um they put on like the C one thirties with like the straps and stuff on the side. And we got all that settled. And then we pretty much just kind of staged there. And uh, from there it was still, word was still kind of like ever changing and it was still, things were still like a little uncertain and uh i'm trying to think yeah we had gotten staged we'd got all of our uh like our gear kind of where it needed to go and then we had everything else on us and uh then after like all that was situated gunny cap kind of pulled us outside and he's like look you know we got 54 dudes here we're going in with 54 and we're coming out with 54 and i think for me like personally that was kind of like I don't know. That was, it kind of brought me to the reality situation. Just like, Oh shit. You know, we're, uh, this is going to be a little hairy. Did y'all have any kind of like apprehensions of like what it was going to be, what it was going to be like? We, we really didn't know. I think cause really all we kind of had to go off of was like that, that, uh, the mock thing we had done with Bravo company. But I mean, company leadership had kind of told us beforehand, like our, our CO and um, first sergeant, they were saying like, I think probably a week before we got where that we were going, they were saying like, if we do end up going, like, it's not going to be like, you know, it's going to be different from like, you know, like when Gunny Cap and like the rest of them were there, like, it's not going to be like setting up PBs and like, you know, going out and patrol, like you're going to be doing crowd control at the airport and holding security and stuff like that. So I think we kind of, in a way, I guess, like, we knew, but we we didn't know, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, we had an idea of it, but we didn't really kind of know what we were going to be doing, I guess, until we got there. How was everything getting to the airport, staging in the airport, and uh, when y'all eventually did pick up and uh, transfer going from Kuwait to uh, Afghanistan? 
that uh, in and of itself was also pretty just kind of back and forth because uh, they had sent I, th- I know for a fact it was Alpha I want to say Charlie Company as well from uh, from one eight they had sent them before us like to the uh, to the airport so we were waiting to get flown out and we actually couldn't at that time just with how hectic it was kind of on the airfield and at that point like we all had you know buddies and stuff and like alpha company and stuff so uh and you know charlie as well so uh we were like watching it unfold kind of on the news just like you know like there's a couple hundred you know marines and a couple hundred soldiers i think as well for uh you know thousands of civilians and they had to like push them back and kind of take control of the airfield again so at that point we were like set to fly out but we were just waiting pretty much for them to to you know take control of the airfield again so they could resume flights in and out so um i remember just watching the news like pretty much <laughs> just wide-eyed that night like we were staged on like the side of like a road i think in front of like a uh like a hangar to be driven by bus out to uh where we were gonna fly out from and it was probably only like a mile you know, and a half or maybe two miles. So it wasn't a long ride, but um, yeah, I remember sitting there and just like me and I think a couple other dudes um, were just like up all night, just pretty much just chain smoking, <laughs> watching, uh, watching like, you know, it unfold like on our phones. And we're just kind of like, you know, nervous for the dudes who uh, we knew who were over there already. But um, eventually, yeah, it, uh, eventually they were able to get control back and um the next morning we ended up flying out but i think all said and done we probably waited at that air base and then we were told like you're flying now okay you're not flying and then you know you're flying just back and forth for probably about like a day and a half i think before we finally flew in did y'all go from kuwait straight to kabul or mm-hmm. yep we went from uh the original base we were staying at al jabber and then we stayed at Ali Asaleen for like that day and a half, kind of waiting for our flight. And then, or actually, no, no, we went, we took a stop in Qatar. I, f- I completely forgot about that. We stopped in Qatar for like probably about two hours. Cause there was something like they were changing out the air like crew. So we briefly stopped in Qatar. Um, but then, then yeah, we went to, uh, to Kabul. How's it on the plane itself? Uh, it was, it was crowded. <laughs> It was, uh, they were trying to get us and then Bravo company. And I think trying to think another company, I forget who they were with. They were with, they might've been H and S, but, um, yes, they packed the plane pretty, pretty full. And it was, it was fairly hot. (laughs) If you could guess how many guys you think were on there. Um, let's see between us and Bravo company and then. Maybe around like 350 ballpark. I think so. Maybe three, yeah, 350. I think. Yeah, I. They had it so that we were like my legs. We were all sitting down. My legs were like over someone's shoulders in front of me, and then Fritch's head was like here on my chest, and we were all laying down. <laughs> it was just like God damn it! I can't even move. Were any of y'all able to like sleep on the flight or? Uh, I. Th- I think later on in the day, a couple people, I think I might've napped for like maybe 20 minutes, a half hour uh, later on when it just, when it cooled down a bit, but yeah, for the most part, it's just, it's just uncomfortable. Before y'all touched down, did y'all get any kind of brief or anything? Like, all right, when we get, when we get on the runway, like 
here's what you're doing like what to expect a little bit yeah they uh it was kind of funny in a way it was like a little anticlimactic because just us seeing the news like we we're expecting like the door to drop down and like a bunch of people to be on the the runway so you know when that happened and there was no one there we were like oh okay but they did tell us like pretty much when we touched down we went uh i'm trying to think actually yeah, we were all, like, I think within a couple minutes of touching down, we were all condition three. And then I think when we touched down, I want to say we went condition one. And then we all kind of went out. We met up with our respective sections, and um, they left the pallets. or they, I mean, they brought the pallets somewhere else, and we got to them later on. But for that short kind of period of time, they pretty much just – the biggest thing was just, like, linking up with everyone and kind of getting accountability. You said you got there on the, around the 16th. Do you remember, like, what time of day? Uh, it was, it was like late night, early morning. I'm pretty sure it was like between like 11 and one. I think it was, it was dark out. And so y'all do get on the runway, you get out of the, get out of the plane. And I mean, just where does it go from there? Uh, from there, uh, it's, it's dark out. Obviously, you know, you have MG, MVGs and stuff, but it's, it was kind of hard to make out who people were, but of course the one saving grace is hearing guys cab gunny cab's booming voice calling us all idiots so i just went towards the sound of that <laughs> and uh yeah we linked up uh we kind of got our respective gear that i think like we had carried and stuff like that um we're gonna get our main packs later on then we went we walked to like this area that was kind of in front of like a bunch of flag poles and we got accountability of the gear and everything and then we went to this like abandoned barracks that we were going to be sharing with uh bravo company um, so we kind of set things up there and established a watch and then, uh, we kind of just went out and acquired some trucks. There wasn't really much, I think, oversight onto who was taking what or what was like designated for any specific like section or anything like that. So I think Gunny Cab essentially just kind of found some trucks and then we just set up kind of like a hasty staging area. And then from there, he kind of just pulled us in and, uh, kind of we established like a bit of a schedule for like I think it was like every six hours you switched off and I think the first like one group would be one section would be patrolling one would be like QRF and the other was like kind of in rest and then from there we just kind of kind of started getting tasked out and he would he was like communicating with like higher and stuff and just kind of finding stuff for us to do I guess did y'all link up with uh, either Alpha or Charlie who had already been there at all, or was it was just like you hit the ground running as soon as you can? Uh, kind of in a way, I guess, just kind of hit the ground running. And I know that um, I'm trying to think, because I know when we got there, we had kind of just set up, we got our trucks and set up things. I know from talking to the LAR dudes, I'm pretty sure like when they got there, they pretty much just got out and they were like, hey, you know, you're on security now. So they kind of, they kind of got it pretty rough. I think, I don't think they like slept for like a super long time uh, that first day, but yeah, we got some sort of kind of organization going. And then we kind of, after that, just, just kind of went. Did the, did the LAR guys get there before y'all or? I'm trying to remember. I, I think it might've been very shortly after I'm trying to think, cause I'm pretty sure they weren't on the same flight as us. I don't think. I, I I think it was pretty sure they got there like relatively close to when we did. 
I think it was after though, but I, I couldn't be wrong about that. I've only talked to I've only talked to one of them so far, and I think he said they got there sometime in the morning. Either the sun was coming up or it was already up or something like that. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, I think it might have been. I think it might have been like yeah, a couple hours after us then, because yeah, we got there like pretty late night, early morning. So they must have must have been like five or six hours after probably then. And so, uh, what schedule would you go on first? Like, were y'all patrol, QRF, rest cycle? Um. So oddly enough, I think, I think we were, I think we might have been on rest first, and then we were on patrol after that. And I think at the time we didn't have enough trucks for like in a whole sec, excuse me, whole section to uh, to go patrolling. So I think. I want to say it was three out of our four like truck, you know, teams got to to go out, and then shortly after that, I think we somehow found more trucks. So after that, the next time, the next go around, we were able to uh, to go patrolling with our section. But yeah, like our truck, like me, Waylon, our driver, our two other like dismounts stayed back on that first patrol, but we got to rest for the first six-ish hours, which was nice. But. Uh, I mean, really, from here, I'm not gonna try to like, I'm not gonna try to like asking like like too specific. I mean, one I know just from having a heavy schedule, being in, and two talking to the other guys that I mean, once things start rolling, it's like everything just like meshes together, you know. And yeah, uh, really, just from here on out, just whatever you can, if you, I mean, if you can remember it in some kind of order, I mean, cool. But if you if you can't, that's fine. And I'll just your experience while at HKIA. Yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. The whole it like, kind of meshes together. I'll try to keep it, I think, in order as best as I can. Um, I do remember that first patrol, like the guys from our section, white section, that went out. They came back and they were like, you know, they pretty much told us they had uh, at that point um, the A and A, or well, I know they had previously been called like the A and A, like uh afghan national army or whatever um at that point they were calling them something different i'm blanking on the acronym it might have been like asa like security or as like security forces or something like that but basically just uh like afghan forces that were like on the side of uh the u.s or whatever um i guess they had our section had said one dude from our section who was in the turret he said that um they had uh they had like caught two detainees that like hopped over the wall and I guess they like, you know, like beat them pretty bad. And then I guess they like ended up taking them behind a wall and you heard like, you know, two gunshots in the distance and then, uh, you know, A&A came out and they didn't, and that was kind of the end of it. And then kind of lo and behold, I mean, we pretty much, when we had enough trucks for our entire section to go out, that's kind of, we pretty much saw the same thing on our, on our, uh, our first patrol there. Yeah, we had, like, seen, like, movement by a wall. So, like, our truck went up, and I think another truck went with us. And, like, yeah, like, I remember there was, like, a woman, and she was, like, you know, she was kind of in the fetal position, like, rocking and crying. And I could see, like, a, a man. I presume them to be a couple. I'm not super sure, but um, I could see, you know, a man, like, you could see probably from his torso, like, at the bottom of his torso down and then up, like, you know, the ASA or ANA or whatever they were just like kind of, you know, they're beating them and like stomping them. And I remember like our buddy was up in the turret and then me and Fritch were in the back of the truck. And I 
pretty i remember both of us just like audibly screaming like what the fuck and just uh and you guys yeah that and then i think someone went out to talk to them or something like that and then they ended up same thing they took them behind a wall and you know gunshots in the distance and then you know didn't uh see him again and then if, as if there was kind of any shadow of a doubt as to what happened we caught up from caught up with some of our buddies from lar a couple of days later and uh they had told us a story about how when they were out like on security and stuff like that, some ANA dudes had like caught some people and pretty much asked them like, they're like, Hey, are you guys, you know, cool. If we like, you know, shoot them in front of you. And they were like, obviously, you know, like freaked out, like for good reason. They were like, what the, no, no, you, you know, so that kind of removed the whole, I mean, it, as if there was any doubt left, but um, after, after those first, I think two, two and a half days of kind of going on patrols, during that time, kind of on our rest cycles, we had done some things around the airport. I think at one point we like found like a kind of a junkyard of like abandoned vehicles. So we took, I think two more trucks from that. Cause those were the only ones that were like operational. And then um, at that point there were like abandoned cars and dudes were like breaking the windows of cars to like, cause there was like, there were some cars that had like medical kits in them and stuff like that. So we would, we would do that and give them to, uh, to our corpsman just, you know, for, for extra, I mean, stuff um and then after that well white section was on qrf we got called to the north gate to assist with crowd control there and um i'm trying to think that was yeah that was probably about two or three days in i want to say we patrolled for those first couple days and we got called to the north gate to assist and um yeah that was kind of like our at least for me personally i think most of the other guys there too um, I'm not sure if anyone else had like maybe talked to like, you know, some civilians during their uh, patrols, but um, that was kind of our first like up close and, and personal experience with civilians. And uh, I remember like talking to Waylon after the fact, we were both just like, yeah, I was, you know, I was kind of fighting back tears and stuff during that just because like, you know, I mean, you know, you'd see, you know, mothers coming through and they were like, you know, they didn't, their children may not have made it through or something like that. And um it was just sheer chaos. I mean, you know, it's, you know, no way to kind of, I mean, you could, we were trying to regulate it, but um, yeah, it's, there's only so much you can do in that situation. And I, our section got split up at that point um, at the North gate, half of us were kind of inside directing like the influx of people. And then the other half, they went out to assist with crowd control. And when they came back in, like they, they were like, you know, they were all like, you know, screaming and swearing and just, you know, just like drenched in sweat and pissed off. And they, you know, for good reason, obviously, but they, you know, told us, I mean, that it, it was just like sheer, just, just chaos, just outside the gate pretty much. Um, yeah. So we, we didn't spend super long there. I think we spent a morning at the North gate and then we went back to our barracks. And then I think we may have patrolled one more time. I can't remember. But after that, I think it was about the third or fourth day and we got sent to the East gate. And at that point, our schedule kind of essentially got broken up because, uh, well, the first day at the East gate, we spent about 12 hours there. And then we went back to our barracks. But then after that, we spent probably about five days, I think, straight at the East gate. And for those like that six day period, it was blue section who was out patrolling the airfield. And then it was red and white section of cat that were at the gate. Um, which oddly enough, uh, we were there with LAR too, which was actually 
interesting just how that worked out but but um yeah i think i can remember it somewhat decently clearly up until kind of that point and then just like i'm sure probably you know uh, the other dudes might have said the same things uh just kind of the time at the east gate gets like a little it's hard to kind of i guess track events at that point like i'm trying to think because i'm trying to think because we were at that point we had charlie was charlie was one eight they were at the east gate so we linked up with them and we uh kind of took over because i think they were they had gotten called i think to maybe assist alpha i want to say could be wrong about that i know they had gotten called away to do something else but um but yeah just the time at the east gate was just like i don't know <laughs> and, for me personally, I know that I, for me personally, like when we, when we got there and kind of took over, there was like a, there was a truck that was kind of positioned against, like there were two like kind of concrete gates almost. And uh, there was like a side where they'd have like a bunch of Marines kind of standing on it and they'd open the gate. And then when they'd close it again, they'd, you know, the Marines would be standing there to push it back. And then we had kind of created like a lane on the inside, right. For like, you know, people coming in to kind of direct them and, you know, give aid if need be. And I'd like, I stood up on the truck, uh, like with a number of other dudes. I know Waylon was up there and a couple other dudes were, and they were essentially doing crowd control in the truck. And uh gunny cap was up like on this, uh, like this, like power lift type of thing, kind of on the uh, left of the truck. And, um, they were all just, you know, they were doing crowd control and kind of, I think there was an, yeah, there was an interpreter up there and they had like a megaphone and they were trying their best to maintain the crowd, but it was, you know, I mean, looking out over the crowd, it was just absolute, just chaos. I mean, people were, you know, shoving and, and, you know, I mean, you know, they're crushing each other. And in a lot of cases, I mean, there was, you know, young kids in there and it, it just, you know, that combined with the heat, I mean, it, you know, there's, there definitely people that you know didn't that were that were killed in the crowd um as a result of that and uh i think i was up on the truck briefly i hopped down and kind of joined that lane that was on the inside uh to kind of direct people i know Waylon stayed up on the truck and uh yeah he was doing kind of crowd control up there i was down in that lane and just i tried my best to kind of just help kind of with the influx of people and stuff and every now and then like uh you know someone would come in and they would like just make it to the door and pass out so, like we'd have to you know carry them to like an aid station or something like that um trying to think <laughs> it was we did have one corpsman who was like it was like six four and like probably like two forty. So like, whereas like some of us would have to like you know I'd grab someone's like you know like arms and someone grab someone else's legs and like we'd have to carry them out. He was just you know just scooping people up himself, which was it was pretty wild to see. But um, but yeah, I'm trying. At some point, I forget exactly when, but at some point, like the Taliban had showed up outside kind of the gate, and I don't. Being on the ground, kind of the gate was probably about like 10 feet high. So at that point, it was kind of hard to see what's going on outside. 
but they, I mean, their method of crowd control was essentially just kind of, you know, just beating people. Uh, so I do remember at one point, like there was a staff sergeant at the like front kind of the like tunnel we had formed and he started screaming out like everyone, you know, if you don't have gloves on, put them on, like, you know, cover up, you know, you know, we got a dude who's bleeding dude came through and he was like split pretty bad. Like from here, um, come to find out there's like a dude out there who was just pretty much just like using an M16, like as a baseball bat, just, he somehow managed to break the butt stock off an M16, which I don't even, I don't even know how you do that, but, but yeah, it, that the first, I'm trying to think the 12 hour day, we had kind of, we'd stayed doing kind of crowd control and trying to accept people. I, at that point, I think I got moved back further down the line and uh, I was helping kind of to like pass out water and stuff to that, like that to like, you know, families and people who are coming through eventually at one point, um, yeah, they, I'm trying to think we got there probably around like 11 or noon that day, then probably around 11 or midnight. Um, we ended up getting relieved. I think Charlie company had come back at that point and, um, yeah, we got relieved. So we went, yeah, we got relieved. And we went back to the bricks and everyone was just kind of like, I mean, it was was tough. Like we kind of, I mean, we talked about it a bit and then we also kind of didn't. Um, Yeah. It was, I don't know. I think we were all just kind of just cause that was like our first kind of close up experience that we were all kind of, you know, shook from it pretty good. So yeah, we just kind of went there and refit. I, I remember at one point throughout that day, I think something we talked about that night, because like we were all again pretty shook up by it. Like there was somehow a, a flashbang had went off like pretty close to like an infant, and like uh, they hoisted you know the baby over the wall, and like it was weird. It was like one of those moments kind of where just like all the sound, it, it just like, it felt like a vacuum, all the sound had just left. And it was just kind of like, I think everyone on our side of the wall was kind of like, you know, kind of shook up by it. And of course that the big Corman that I mentioned, he runs up and he grabs the baby and, you know, takes it back to the aid station. And of course, thank God, you know, everything ended up being okay. Um, the baby just cut pretty bad. They weren't, you know, they didn't end up dying or anything like that, but I, that moment I think stuck with, it stuck with me and I think it stuck with probably everyone there. It was just like, just like, what the fuck, you know? Um, yeah, that was the first day at the gate. And then we went back and we all just kind of, or we would sit in silence maybe for a little bit. And then we'd kind of talk about something, you know, that maybe had happened during earlier during the day. Um, I think we got to rest for, a couple hours and then we ended up going back to the gate the next day and it was pretty much you you know same kind of chaotic situation just yeah just just seeing people being like you know horribly kind of injured in some cases you know unfortunately you know dying and um you know just the desperation of people when they would come through the gate and stuff is you know is uh you know it it was shitty (laughs) But uh, they, uh, at that point, 
because we had we had assumed that we were going to be relieved again uh, by Charlie in like 12 hours, um, and they got tasked out to do something else. So our I think initially it might have been like, oh, they might be coming back the next morning, and then it kind of just turned into like, you know, well, we're you know here for the foreseeable future. So you know, just we don't we don't really know kind of when we're leaving the East Gate. So uh, I think all said and done, we were there for about. Yeah, five-ish days, maybe a little less than that. And um, initially when we had gotten there, the gate was still open and we were still processing people. I forget exactly when they closed it, but um, it was probably about half, so probably about maybe two and a half days into our time at the East Gate. And during that time, a lot of us had gotten moved from the gate itself down to the uh, the holding area for like kind of processing people and just waiting for them to get taken to the air, airfield to get flown out and... Uh, that was kind of another one of those situations where it's just like, you know, I mean, we were just holding families there and we were, you know, pass out MREs and like water and stuff when they needed it. Um, yeah, it's just a, the level of, you know, desperation. I mean, it was, it was, it was hard to look at. Um, I remember at one point, uh, like a man had like, uh, he'd approached me and he was like, he was telling me, he was asking me if there was a shop anywhere that he could buy food. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, sir. I don't, you know, it's, I don't think so. He's like, all right, well, you know, is there any way I can get like bread or something like that? Cause my mother is very sick and you know, she can't eat anything other than bread. And I eventually, after talking with him for a little bit, I was like, well, can she eat like the snack bread from our MREs? And he was like, yeah, I think that would work. So I was like, okay, I'll be right back. So I walked back down to the gate, which was probably about half a mile down the road. And there was like this little courtyard. And at that point, like, you know, I, most spaces are probably like you're up to your ankles and just like trash and just like, you know, just shit, like, you know, MREs and then like people's discarded bags, like missing clothing, shoes, you know, all that like water bottles and stuff. And, um, I was just like, I was, I was waiting around in the trash, just trying to find like packages of snack bread. And at that point, after a couple of days had gone by, it was like, you know, the frustrations were starting to build and stuff. And, you know, it's, I remember telling this to a couple of buddies uh, later on that day, but it was, it was funny that I yelled it kind of in hindsight, but at the time I was just so upset. Like at one point I think I just tears rolling down my face. I was like, where the fuck is the snack bread? I know no one likes it this much. And I, you know, I, like I think I threw an MRE at the wall or something, but you know, I sat and kind of composed myself and eventually I was able to get like a little bit of it and brought it back to him and he was super grateful and stuff. And I, you know, I was just, you know, it was just the sheer desperation of the situation. Like I remember our, our corpsman had told us like, there's a woman who's like nine months pregnant and you know, she's pretty much ready to give birth. And I was kind of like, what do we do about that? He's like, I, we have to wait until she gets out of here. Like we don't have the proper, you know, like equipment or, you know, facilities to really help her. Um, so it was just, it was, I mean, you know, there's plenty of cases where, you know, there's people would approach us asking for things. I remember I, in another instance, I like, I dug through trash to find a man, like a pair of shoes. And it was like two mismatched pairs that were like different sizes, but it was really all we could, could do. It was just like, people would approach us and ask things. And, you know, we wanted more than anything to help and we just couldn't. And that was probably one of the worst parts of it. It's just, you know, it was, so much you just couldn't do but after being at the holding area uh 
we'd eventually I think they they moved us back to the east gate like itself they had brought in some other people to work the holding area and at that point the gate had been closed so you could open the gate itself and uh, the crowd had been pushed back probably about like 10 meters and there was like a two strands of sea wire set up to kind of keep them back and um at that point the crowd was like very very restless and understandably so but um the Taliban was out there and they were trying to keep the peace. And there was this one, uh, there's this one man who, uh, he spoke English very fluently and he was, uh, Amir, I believe his name was. And, uh, he just, yeah, just a great dude. Like he helped us keep control of the crowd. He would translate for us. He would, uh, he would like, you know, he would, we'd give him the megaphone and he would like, you know, kind of tell the crowd like what's going on stuff like that. And, um, you know, at that point, it was like, we didn't know what was going on in terms of like, we didn't know if the gate was going to be opened again, or if this was it. And, you know, all the people, you know, that were there just kept asking us to, to open the gate. And, you know, it, it wasn't our decision, obviously. So I think after probably about two, yeah, about two, day and a half, two more days of that, people kind of pleading and him helping us out, you know, at the gate, we, uh, word essentially came down from whoever i'm not sure it just someone had told you know our uh, our gunny that uh yeah the gate's not opening again so we had to go back out and tell the crowd that and uh i wasn't there for when i was because we at that point we were doing hour on hour off shift so you'd kind of because lar had gotten pulled to do something else they were tasked out and then charlie was also tasked out so i think it was it was just about like 55 dudes between cat or no that was less than that actually because it wasn't the whole platoon so it was it was basically just cat white and red just on the wall uh at that point we were doing hour on hour off shift for i think about a day and a half or two days so i was on my my rest hour there and uh fritch had told me like he was out there when they told them that you know the gate's closing for good and just like i don't know just the look of you know, just disappointment on the guy's face who, you know, essentially helped us and, you know, put himself at great risk for cooperating, you know, with U.S. forces and stuff like that. You know, we kind of hung him out to dry in a way, which was a really shitty thing. But, um, yeah, I think I remember after that, it was kind of just, you know, hour on, hour off shift. I remember, I think the last night we were there, it ended up, uh, Waylon and I were the last ones or not the last, no, Waylon and I were on a shift together and we were on top of a Hasco barrier overlooking this crowd. And there was, um, a group of women underneath us. And, uh, there was one of them who spoke English and she kept trying to like show us her papers and stuff like that, showing that, you know, she could be evacuated and stuff. And we kept telling her like, I'm really sorry. There's nothing we can do. Um, and, uh, you know, she essentially, she told us, you know, like the Taliban, like they killed my father, you know, like if they see us on the, we kept asking her to go down the road to the Abbey gate, which was probably about like a little under a mile of a walk. And she had, uh, she said like, you know, there's a curfew out and everything. And, you know, if the Taliban killed my father. If they see me out on the road, if they see women out on the road, you know, they're going to round us up and kill us. And we just, you know, I, we, you know, we just kept apologizing. We were just like, there's nothing we can do. Like, I'm, you know really sorry and uh, again it was kind of that whole just you know just wanting more than anything to do something but you just can't you know, it's just it's just shitty but um 
I'm pretty sure it was the next morning that we ended up getting relieved. Charlie had come back, so we got sent back to uh, – we went on a – I think a – I think our platoon, or at least white and red, got to go on a rest cycle for about six hours. So we like we were able to uh, shave and all that. And then uh, at that point, we had resumed patrolling. And then eventually, kind of after, and, and patrolling was relatively uneventful, I guess, compared at least for me personally, compared to everything else. Um, we had, you know, gotten some people that we detained, but. Um, we hadn't seen anyone, you know, like, you know, get, you know, beaten or shot or anything like that in that time. So we just, you know, detain people and, you know, if they had the proper papers and stuff like that, we'd send them through. And if not, then, you know, couldn't, but, um, yeah. Um, eventually, yeah, the, the 26 rolled around and, uh, I'm trying to think. We had been told that there was like an expectation that something might happen. So earlier on in the day, Cat White was staged kind of where our old holding area was, the East Gate. So that's probably like probably about halfway between the East Gate and the Abbey Gate. So probably about like a half mile away. So we were staged there kind of in the expectation that something might happen. And then at that point, we had gone back because Red Section took over it for us. And we were at that point, I think both us and Blue were on QRF just because the expectation that something might happen. And um, at that point, I think, I'm trying to think, we're all just kind of hanging out in our trucks. And I honestly can't remember if I, you know, heard an explosion or anything like that, uh, like that or not. At that point, at that, I mean, at that point, it was, you know, we'd heard like, you know, things going off in the distance and gunfire and stuff like that for, you know, most of our time there. So initially, I don't think I thought much of it. But I do remember it coming out of the truck later on at one point. And um, one of our dudes who had been on truck watch, kind of in like a different area from us, he had, he had mentioned, he's like, yeah, you know, I saw uh, like trucks going by essentially. And there were, you know, people like in, you know, Marpat on the back and they just weren't moving and then, you know you're just kind of like oh fuck and um and uh yeah then our our section leader um our higher ups were busy at that time uh, you know obviously dealing with everything i think and um just trying to coordinate everything and our section leader you know pulled us in and he was kind of essentially like you know told us what we knew at that time or what they knew at that time they're just like yeah be you know be aware marines the casualties today and um you know, it was weird because I think at that point, like people back home knew what happened before we did. And, uh, you know, so we were all getting texts and stuff like that, you know, asking if we were okay and stuff, which was like, it was, you know, I just, it was just, it was just, I don't know. It was the whole thing is just fucked, I guess. But, uh, yeah, yeah. As uh, the days had kind of gone on, we kind of got more and more information about what had happened and, um, you know, it was obviously just super shitty and uh and uh yeah yeah we i think after that we had gone on a few more patrols i remember even talking to my buddy and alpha company like after that everyone was you know i think understandably so just very uneasy kind of about going out on patrols and um i remember the last one we went out on like the day before we left uh i was up in the turret and our lieutenant 
like radioed over to Waylon and he was like, because at that point we had seen some people jump over this one section of the wall and um, he was like, hey, have your gunner stand up and see, you know, what's going on over the wall. And I was like, and so Waylon kind of says that. I'm like, he wants me to do what? He just wants me to fucking skyline the shit out of myself, just like silhouette myself perfectly. He's like, I guess, just make it quick. And I was like, all right. But, I, you know, I just stood up, just standing there. <laughs> and I, over the wall, I see like this, like huddled group of like six dudes all just like, you know, just in like full like headscarf and everything like that. And they're just kind of like in a group talking. And then one of them turns and sees me and he like kind of like does a little point like and the rest of the group looks up and then like two of them go inside two of them like duck into an alley and then one runs this way and then the other one's like on his bike going down like the opposite side of the street and you're like he just keeps like looking over at me and i was just like what the fuck did i just you know just kind of look into here but uh i'm pretty sure i told waylon about it i think and i don't think anything ever really came of it at that point, I said there was one dude crouched like up on top of this section, kind of the wall, but where we couldn't see. So, someone I think tossed a flashbang up there, and I think that kind of kind of startled the dude, and I think he he just went away. But um, yeah, I just remember feeling like just super uncomfortable just during that. I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, you, I mean, if he says so, I'll do it. But okay, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, then. Uh, yeah, I think we had gotten word after that. We got back from our patrol that we were kind of leaving the next day. And we were oddly, I, we were one of the earlier groups to to get sent out, I think. Because I know Alpha Company kind of got fucked because they got there like the earliest. And I think they might have been like one of the last to leave. But yeah, I think we ended up leaving like the 28th or 29th, I think. But yeah, we just kind of packed our stuff up and people grabbed some things that they found uh, and threw them in their packs. And then, yeah, we uh, headed out of there. Yeah. I'm sure there, there, I'm sure there are probably some things about it. I'm, I'm not remembering. I do remember. And I, I know this, I mean, I'm, I'm out now, so it doesn't really matter. But um, the guy that I had mentioned that was helping us, he, uh, he eventually someone had, Someone had actually been able to contact him. Like they got, they found his Instagram or something like someone from our platoon. So um, they were trying to like sneak him through a section of the wall because come to find out, I guess like the Taliban, like they were like, you know, they were pissed at him for working with us. So they uh, like, he had like a very young, like uh, I think like a one-year-old son and they like, they, you know, they kicked him. So his, you know, his infant son had a fucking black eye um, and he was trying to, you know, get out of, get out of there for understandable reasons. And um, our Lieutenant caught wind of it and he basically shut it down. And our Sergeant was like trying to fight him. He was like, you know, like I'll fucking court martial you if you, you know, so So our Sergeant, I mean, he did everything we could, but yeah, I, I've never, I don't think ever lost respect for someone faster than, <laughs> than that. Um, he, he eventually, it ended up working out because his wife had Pakistani citizenship and that somehow, qualified he was able to get out of the country somehow and i think he flew to the u.s somehow so him and his family got out okay thank god but you know no thanks to our bitch ass lieutenant for lack of a better way to put it so but yeah that's i think that's kind of my experience of it more or less i'm sure there's probably things i'm forgetting but no nah, that was that was good, that was good. And it's always, uh, i mean here in the i mean like i said i talked to a few guys already but 
the details and everything that everybody remembers is always different. So, I mean, you definitely contributed into like the story with Amir. Yeah, I haven't heard that before in the, yeah, in the patrolling and the, unfortunately I had heard about some of the stuff that the ANA or ASF, whatever the fuck they were called, what they were doing. Yeah. I've heard a few stories about that from pretty much everybody I talked to. And, yeah, uh, that was definitely something that I think probably everyone was very highly upset about. I mean, understandably so, but. Yeah, was there I ever think... thoughts? Oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say, I think that's just the main thing that I think about when I still think about that is just the, the desperation of the people there. It is just, is, is, you know, it's very hard to see. Was but, there ever a thought in, I mean, if there wasn't fine, because to like try and like confront the A&A guys, like what they were doing and, or was it just like, they were kind of off limits, whatever they're doing, that's their own thing. You know, it was, I'm trying to think. It was kind of, at least from what I saw, it was kind of off limits. And from talking to uh, like friends from Alpha and stuff like that who were there before us, you know, very kind of sad to say, one of the ways that they got control over the airfield again was like ANA and I think even maybe some Taliban dudes showed up and they essentially started beating people. And it, it I think they're... I'm sure there were some confrontations that probably took place or, you know, some people saying like, you know, you couldn't do that, I guess necessarily, but I'm not sure how, cause I think, I think our section leader might've said something to like higher leadership kind of about it. And then I think they said they'd do something about it, but nothing ever really came of it in terms of like a, an official, you know, like anything really happening. Um, yeah, it was, I think it, they're definitely, I think we wanted to kind of intervene some way. It's just, I think we were very kind of limited in what we could do in a lot of situations, I guess. And the sad thing is too, is I'm in a lot of situations too, that's kind of, in some ways, I mean, they could control the crowd a bit better, but that's, I mean, cause they would you know, beat people. I mean, you know, we weren't, we couldn't, and we didn't want to necessarily do that. Or, I mean, you know, we'd shove and stuff like that, but we wouldn't grab a, a you know, a two by four, or, you know, something else and, you know, hit people that way or anything like that. So. Were you ever one of the guys sent uh, outside of the gate? Um, To like work the crowd? Towards towards the end of our time, kind of at the East Gate, where we had the sea wire barrier between the gate and kind of the crowd, I had to do that. Everyone kind of had to do it at some point or like during their shift, I guess. So I, I went out of the gate kind of in that capacity, but that was more or less it kind of. I, I didn't really go outside the gate before that or after that either. Yeah, really just, well, uh, any interactions with uh, foreign militaries that were also there? Um, We interacted with the Turks a pretty good amount, actually. <laughs> they, uh, uh, not many of them, I mean, they, they spoke a little bit of English, so um, they were 
on the east gate i think with us for a little bit or they were at least kind of like posted up near it but um yeah they were they were pretty cool they would uh like give us breakfast and stuff sometimes that they had made or like if we ran out of cigarettes they would offer us some. <laughs> that was mainly it and then occasionally we'd like every now and then like you know maybe like canadian or, or like british or like french or like you know i think maybe german a couple of times like we'd be at the east gate and they would be there specifically looking for like one person so they would kind of come and kind of try to sift through the crowd um but that was pretty much it at least for us they would like kind of come and go i think they were like looking more for like specific people so it was really just like american forces like holding security on the airport and then their detachments would just be going after like one or two people that they're just trying to get out of there from from what i saw yeah and um it, it certainly could have been different at the other gates but you know that was our experience at our gate and i from talking to at least you know Marines from Alpha Company. That's that kind of seemed to be the experience. It was it was mainly just, and I know the 82nd helped out a good amount at, at the gates as well, but it seemed to be mainly American forces. I think. Uh, did you ever any interaction that either you had or that you saw between like you guys and like Taliban while you were on the gate? Yeah, there was Gunny Cap. He. Uh, using that dude to translate, he would kind of go through, um, he would kind of negotiate with the Taliban dude to try to kind of, when the gate was closed for good, just to kind of let them know, like, you know, that the gate might be opening this time or might not be, you know, ask them to kind of help with control the crowd. And, uh, you know, him like having fought against the Taliban, like I can only imagine how frustrating that was. You know, there was one point where when we went back inside the gate, he was kind of joking. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't, joking but he, he couldn't do it but he was like poorly i'm gonna fucking kill that guy <laughs> so it was mainly he he mainly did most of the talking though but yeah i personally didn't have any interaction with the taliban i mean i was we were like you know within probably like 10 feet of them kind of from where we were standing but he did he did pretty much all the talking and uh yeah uh, uh, i mean i mean you gave a few good stories about interactions with just the Afghan, like, uh, looking for the food, the pregnant lady, the mm -hmm. woman at the bottom of the wall, the you and Waylon, the guy and look for a pair of shoes for a guy. And then Amir, as if there's anything else you can recall. Uh, there was one guy now that I think about it. He, uh, when we were working the holding area, he had approached me and he was just spoke pretty decent English. And he was just saying like, he was telling me, he's like, you know, I worked with, I think he said like the 10th mountain division or something like back in like 2011 when they were here. And he said he was like an interpreter for them and he had, you know, helped them out. And now he obviously had to like flee the country, uh, you know, cause the Taliban would, you know, they, they, you know, for obvious reasons. And, um, he told me, he's like, you know, I have a young son, but I had to leave him, uh, with someone else because I didn't want him getting crushed to death, you know, by the crowd at the gate. And, uh, you know, he, he told me his whole story and he essentially asked, he's like, why, why is this so rushed? Like, why, you know, wasn't this, you know, planned better or set up better? Like, why does America, why are they essentially leaving behind the people that, that helped them out? And I just, I, I remember being so frustrated because he was right. That was the thing. Like I was, 
I just kind of kept apologizing. Like, I'm sorry. I, you're right. I don't know what to, to tell you, but you know, he eventually just kind of, I think walked away and he was frustrated and I was frustrated as well, but yeah, there, there were, I think a couple people like that. There was kind of asking like, why, why are you, or why did you almost kind of like leave the people behind that, you know, helped you during this war? And it was, I, I didn't have an answer for them. But. Yeah, I just think it's it's just, it's a, such a strange situation. It's a really shitty one to have y'all in because y'all had never been to Afghanistan before, and y'all had any a good bit of y'all haven't even deployed before. And but after twenty years of war, it came that y'all were the ones that were there dealing yeah. with the end game. Yeah, and the thing that, I don't know, the thing that, I mean, the thing that messes, I mean, with me a lot, I'm sure with a lot of people, I mean, you know, I was, I was 25 at the time, and, you know, I think out of the, you know, 13 service members that uh, had been killed, I think 11 were younger than me, you know, I'm not, I'm not that old, you know, so I, I think there was a good amount of them who weren't even, you know, born or were barely born when like September 11th had happened. So it was just, you know, shitty situation, like you said. Yeah, that's the thing too, is like, cause I mean, when like me and the, uh, the other Charlie guys, Charlie weapons guys, when we were on deployment, we talked about it. I'm like, hey, when we, I, for, I think, I don't know who made the observation first. It, it might've been me, but I don't think it was. It was like, hey, when we get back and we get boots of our own you guys uh like a lot there's gonna be some of these guys or a lot of these guys who weren't even alive when 9-11 happened and here they are enlisting and volunteering and uh preparing for the possibility that they might go fighting something that they weren't even around for the start of it you know yeah yeah something that was kind of wild to me was uh one of the dudes uh, in our cat section, his dad was in the Marine Corps and he actually, he deployed to uh, Iraq, like right after, uh, pretty shortly after I think 9-11 had happened. So it was just wild that, I know it, was, it, it wasn't Afghanistan, but still just more or less the, you know, GWAT still, like his dad had deployed and then here he is kind of, kind of in Afghanistan as well. It's just weird. Yeah. Cause like a lot of wars, I mean, there's, there's a few exceptions throughout history, but I don't think, I mean, in the U S Vietnam was the closest, but this has never happened before that multiple, like two or three generations fighting the same war. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, was during all this, was there anybody that you can, I mean, I'm not asking you to throw anybody under the bus, but was there anybody in the section of a platoon that was like having a particularly hard time with everything that was going on around them? Um, I'm trying to think, I think, I mean, I don't think there was anyone that, you know, it was so hard that, or they were having such a hard time with it where they kind of just, you know, weren't able to do their jobs, but it was definitely like, I remember oddly enough, the same, uh, the same uh, guy who, you know, his dad was in Iraq. We were, you know, talking at one point, you know, and it was after like, we were at the holding area and we were like establishing like sea wire and stuff like that to like, you know, kind of 
keep everyone like you know where they're supposed to be and stuff like that and he was like jesus christ man we're hurting them like fucking cattle like this is so wrong and you know i you know he was kind of having a rough coming i mean he wasn't necessarily wrong either i was kind of you know i was kind of there with him in a way but for the most part i mean i think everyone did as okay with it i guess as they could have I mean, from everything I've heard from you and everybody else I've talked to so far, I mean, everybody just buckled down and it was a shitty situation that y'all were all in and y'all just did what y'all were told to do and did what y'all were capable of doing just to get through it, help who you can and make sure nobody was going to get hurt or anything like that. Yeah. How are the... Uh, I mean, like Gunny Cap and other staff and CEOs that you know of who deployed several times before, and like Gunny Cap who'd been to Afghanistan before, like, you know, obviously he said he's like joking and it was like having to negotiate with the Taliban. He's like, he comes back in, he's like, yeah, I'm going to kill that fucker before we leave. Any kind of like hint or indication of like what, what was going on with them during all this? He, uh, he kind of, I think if anything was going on with him, he kind of didn't show it. And I'm sure things were definitely going on. Um, and I think he's just, I, I know, I know I like to joke around a bit, but he, about, you know, him, but he is, he really is kind of a, you know, probably the best leader that we could have asked for in that situation. But I do remember at one point he was telling us like, this is honestly harder than any fight or harder than any firefight I've been in. And he was kind of saying simply for the fact there's no, there's no winning in this situation, you know, and, um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to like sit here and pretend to understand what his, you know, previous deployments must've been like, but you know, I'm sure it was definitely taking an emotional toll on, on him and, you know, those other dudes. And, you know, I think for definitely understandable reasons, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that multiple times as well. And like all the guys who deployed before, so like, this was like the hardest one. I know there was a couple, especially like the more junior guys who were like, they made him feel better. They made him feel like more accomplished and everything, but. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it, it definitely meant something, especially kind of coming from him. Um, but yeah. Uh, any other personal interactions or anything you witnessed that like, uh, that you can recall? I do remember I do remember at one point, I think it was our first night on the East Gate because I didn't move back a bit further, kind of in like the tunnel, I guess you'd call it. So at that point, I was just kind of handing out water and like directing people to the aid station. But there's one woman, uh, she was coming through with like a, a probably like a probably like a four year old girl, if I had to guess. And she kind of she wanted like she got to our point, and she was like trying to turn around and go back. And we were like, I think it was me, Fritch and Waylon at that point. And we were like trying to kind of like hold on to her and being like, you know, you can't you can't go back out there. Um, it's more back to the gate. I mean, it's super chaotic over there. And um, she was trying to communicate with us. And we had, I think, gotten an interpreter. And, um, you know, the interpreter was kind of like, oh, she, you know, she speaks or well, I think, I think he, what was it? He was like, she speaks Farsi. I, you know, this, I only speak Dari. I can't, you know, uh, translate. And um, a girl who's probably about our age, honestly, or, you know, age of the Marines there, she's probably like in her early twenties. She overheard from the aid station and um, 
she kind of came over and started, you know, communicating with the woman and, and, you know, was helping her and us out. And, uh, you know, we kind of asked her about like what was going on, you know, uh, after the fact, cause she got the woman to kind of calm down and she picked her daughter back up and they went to the aid station. But we were asking, you know, what was going on. And she's like, Oh, well, her family was still, you know, out there. You know, I just told them, you know, they're going to, try their best to get through and you guys are going to, you know, try to help them out, you know, but you know, there's, she can't go back out there. It's too dangerous. And, you know, we, you know, thanked her profusely. And, um, she was kind of like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm the only one in my family that made it through, you know, and you know, it just, I don't know. We didn't really know what to say. Kind of that. We just kind of thanked her again. And she went back to the aid station, but it was just kind of like, I don't know. I think it just highlighted just again, just how chaotic the situation was like, it was like in a lot of cases it was impossible to keep families together and in a lot of cases they did get reunited later on but it was it was just a pure shit show all around i was saying like on the news and everything at least and like everything i've looked up since then like there was so much emphasis placed like once that picture came out of the baby being like that you saw personally like the baby being lifted over the wall mm-hmm. like once that picture came out and like hit the news cycle like there was so much emphasis placed on like keeping families together like nobody nobody's separating families like for any reason and it's just like well how can you and i was i was always thinking that like hearing that story it's just like how can you guarantee something like that you can't yeah no for sure yeah there is there's a point where and it's i mean it's terrible you think how you know desperate a mother has to be to to you know give up her child like that but there was a point where you know mothers would be trying to to continue doing that and we had to stop accepting them because we at one point we had like an aid station that i think was like you know like 15 20 just unattended babies and it's like we can't you know keep accept i mean there's no one to to you know evacuate them or take care of them or anything like that you know we have to so you know i think staff and ceo kind of came down our line and you know he's screaming like you know family stay together family stay together we're not taking kids by themselves so but yeah i mean to your point you know it's uh, you can't really ensure that. I mean, yeah, like you're saying, like mothers like kept hand, like kept like trying to get the the children and the babies through to y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I the, actually just Wednesday the interview I was doing, uh, the guy I was interviewing. I don't know if you uh, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was telling me a story that there was this kid who came up to the gate uh, to the sea wire. And he was there and. Uh, asking for his phone so he can like, call his family and uh, long story short his family had already flown out like three days before that mm-hmm. and here was this kid with some random dude the way he described it and it was just like his family's already in another country yeah yeah I, yeah it's unfortunately common i think in the last on the last patrol we went on after the whole well before not before the whole me standing on top of the JLTV thing happened because before that we had had people come through a point in the wall and our lieutenant wanted us to see where they're coming from. But, um, there are two dudes who made it through. And one of them was like a, he was a kid. He was 16 years old and, uh, broke some English and we got his papers and thankfully he ended up making it out. But, uh, you know, through talking to him, we had come to find out that his parents had left the country already. And he was in the hospital because like he had been, like hit in the head by uh, someone in the Taliban. So he had to go, you know, to the hospital and they pretty much just kind of left without him. So he thankfully had the right documentation and stuff, but it was just, I mean, 
yeah, similar to that you know, story in a way, I guess. It wasn't necessarily as bad because he was at least at least like 16. You know, you kind of maybe had some idea of kind of what to do, but still just shitty. Yeah. I think he said the kid was like 8, 9, 10 years old, something like that, and he's smart enough to ask somebody for a phone, but, I mean, he couldn't. I mean, he couldn't take care of himself. No, no. And so y'all, y'all finally did leave on like the 29th, you said, or something like that? I think so. I want to say it was around then because I, I want to say, I think like all U.S. troops had gotten out like on the 30th, I want to say. And we left like a day or two before them. And y'all went back to Kuwait. Mm-hmm. We went back well, to, oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was just, uh, well, how, how was, I was just going to ask, like, how was getting out? I mean, uh, I think some kind of word or some, I don't even know if, like, a word came down, but y'all just started, like, destroying everything that y'all could get your hands on and then just, like, started trying to pack up and stage to get out of there. Yeah, we had, word for us came down pretty, or it was pretty sudden. I think it was, it was either the night before, or, like, the morning of. It was, like, we're leaving, you know, pretty soon, so we just packed up everything. We hadn't really unpacked too much so it was kind of just grab our shit and get out of there but i do remember and i remember seeing videos after the fact i think of people that like or marines that had left after us like they're pretty much just told like you know destroy what you can so we saw like dudes with hammers and stuff like you know hitting windows of vehicles and all that yeah i think we might have left a little bit before that took place the whole kind of destruction of the airport type of thing yeah i think there's there's a video on youtube and I don't know if it's all from the same guy or if it's just like a comp- compilation that uh, he put together. It's a guy from One Eight, like all the them running around the airport and just trying to smash stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that video as well. He actually, he almost, I think he posted that when we got to Kuwait, and I think he almost got in trouble for it. I don't think he did, thankfully, but, but yeah, I've seen that video. I would hope not, because y'all are y'all are gone by then. But then, yeah, does. I mean, we got in trouble in our deployment because. Uh, Guys took a video of like looking through, uh, what was it past 28s or something like that, of like their dock just taking a piss in the middle of the desert, and they posted it on social media. And like the whole, the whole deployment, we all got in trouble for that. And things got stupid after that, which was pissed a lot of people off. But so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he did get in trouble for it. But yeah, I think he, I think they like had a brief investigation, which I don't even know how you would investigate that. Nothing ever came of it, but. And so when y'all did leave, did y'all like leave? Was it still like, was it during the day or was it at night? Like, were any kind of, were all the exfil flights like at night or was they just like scattered just whenever they could get them out? I think whenever they could get them out. If I remember correctly, ours was probably around like noon. It was definitely like daylight when we left. And I think there was another group that left pretty shortly after us as well. And so when y'all did get out, where did y'all go like straight back to Kuwait? Uh, we did. Yeah, at that time we didn't stop in Qatar. We just went back straight to uh, Ali Asalim where we flew out of originally, and then we went back to Al Jabber where the rest of our stuff was, and we were staying originally. And after like shit, almost two weeks that y'all were there, how was it being back at Kuwait? It was. It was really weird. It was. It was like a short amount of time. So in a way, it kind of almost felt like it was a fever dream, at least for me, I guess. But yeah, it was super weird because at that point, like, you know, we had 
you know, done the mission and everything. And like, you know, at that point, the deployment was pretty much over. I mean, we were slated to go home in a couple of weeks. So we really didn't have anything to do. It was, we were just kind of hanging out, which was nice after that experience. But at the same time, it was just, it was just kind of odd. So y'all just like went like eight worked out. Uh, oh, sorry. No, sorry. I was just gonna say, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Did y'all ever like, like sit down and like, think about like talk about anything that was like going on over there? Or was it just kind of just like, it was just kind of like a silent agreement. Like, yeah, y'all all there y'all saw and experienced what happened. So just kind of like move on with your lives or. Um, I think we definitely talked about it. Um, I think different people may have, I guess, handled it a little bit differently. We definitely did talk about it, though. Yeah, I think mainly I talked about it to get him out with just my buddies in Alpha because I'd only I'd only seen him one time over there. So I just kind of, you know, just wanted to see how he was doing, I guess, more than anything. But, um, but yeah, we, we talked about it. I don't think we went into super specific detail, but we, we definitely did talk about it. Yeah, I was like going through all that processing everything while I had all that downtime. Uh, in some ways it was good, I think. And in some ways it was kind of, I think it, it was definitely nice to be able to like hang out for a bit. But at the same time, I think a lot of people kind of wanted something to do to kind of keep their minds off it. Anybody in particular like having a rough time? Uh, I do remember... I do remember one dude, and I, I won't, you know, call him out or name names or anything, but uh, I remember talking to him, you know, kind of alone in his room, and he was like, he was kind of saying like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like having some, you know, dreams and stuff about, you know, certain things that may have happened over there, and we, you know, talked about it for a bit, but, um, but yeah. Uh, I imagine just like you and Waylon just went around and, did whatever like y'all always did huh pretty much they actually uh there was a guitar in the chapel so hung out there a lot and he played a good amount so yeah i, I actually remember that those couple of guys that told me the because y'all were more the religious type and uh, y'all kind of at least for the couple of guys that i talked to that mentioned it uh i don't know if, i'm not just saying this to make you feel better i don't know if it will but y'all kind of became uh you and will and both can kind of like rocks for the uh for the guys around you through oh, through all that I'm definitely uh I'm definitely I'm, I'm glad to hear that I mean yeah not to sound overly corny or anything like that but yeah I mean I feel like Waylon and I are, are, are pretty similar <laughs> personality wise and I mean yeah just kind of having him there to bounce things off of and stuff and, you know I'm you know listen to his shit as well. It's a, I think it's, it was beneficial. And we definitely did talk a, a pretty, I mean, a, a fairly decent amount about it. I think being uh, in Kuwait after that. And so getting out of Kuwait, y'all ended up flying back. Yep. Was there even yeah. a chance that y'all were going to go back on boat? Uh, I think there was maybe for a little bit and our BC did not want that at all, <laughs> which I appreciated. I mean, I can only imagine a bunch of, Marines who just went through what y'all did being stuck on a ship one just in claustrophobic conditions and two dealing with a bunch of Navy dudes who I mean you know you you deployed you were on the boat so you know what the Navy's like oh yeah no, absolutely 
that not that uh, would not have gone well. Yeah, I think one guy, one of the LAR guys I talked to, he said like at least what they were told there was an argument over what would be cheaper to get y'all back home, either sending y'all back by boat or by plane. And uh, they decided that going back by plane would be cheaper because they would save on medical expenses. <laughs> yeah, that make that would make a lot of sense. I, I could see that. And so, uh, do you remember how it like felt, not just leaving Hkaya, but like also like leaving Kuwait and like knowing like you're on your way back home? Um. It was definitely, I mean, it was definitely a good feeling. It was, it was kind of weird in a way. Like, I don't know. I just felt kind of, again, surreal, I guess. But, but yeah, I mean, and I think we stopped briefly in Ireland. Unfortunately, we didn't get to get off the plane, but then that was fine because we ended up going back quicker anyway. So, so, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a really weird feeling just how like quickly everything had kind of changed within like the span of a month, even like from being on the boat to then in Kuwait, then to Afghanistan, then back to Kuwait, and then just heading home. It was, it was kind of weird. Changed how, if you could describe any of it. Um, I think just probably like, at least for me personally, again, just like, it was my first time kind of being outside the U.S. So it went from like, and again, taking it, you know, taking it seriously and taking training seriously. It was, you know, it went from kind of this like cool experience of like, you know, visiting different countries and stuff like that. And then it shifted kind of quickly into like, you know, a very like horrific, traumatic situation. And then just kind of like, you know, back to just like hanging out in Kuwait and like playing basketball, almost as if it just like switched very quickly from like being peaceful to not, or not necessarily peaceful, but like, I guess just, I don't know, just like the first half of that deployment, like, you know, everyone like drinking in England versus like H Kaya just seemed like very different. Like, like it seemed like there was a very different tone from like the first half and the second half of the deployment. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of, I can kind of imagine that cause I've had, well, I mean, not the specific experience that you have is just like doing one thing one day and then the next day doing something completely different. And that, 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 that I mean, they mesh together and it's really fucking weird. And at times it's like, it almost feels like one thing was a dream and the other thing's reality and like figure trying to figure out which one's which and uh just because they like i said they, they mesh together and it's like they become one but they're separate and it's it's fucking weird yeah so yeah no, I, I, I can get that and it's like even like being out now i don't know if you've had this yet but being out now is my time and my time in feels like a different life it feels like a lifetime ago and it was only I mean, I, I've only been out for what, like two and a half years. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Even like, yeah, at this point only coming up on a year, I think. Cause yeah, it was January. So been out for like eight or nine months, but yeah, just even like a year on like this last August, like it was kind of reflecting on, you know, what took place at like the airport and stuff like that. It's just, it was weird. Cause I'm just like in a completely wildly different like place now than than it was at that time but there's only a year difference but yeah i mean hell i can only imagine that it's like going from august 21 being in hia and then august of this year not only are you not in afghanistan you're not in the marine corps anymore and it's just yeah. 
Yeah, just a, a weird experience. Yeah, it, uh, I feel like it just makes you see like how fast time changes and moves, you know? Absolutely. And so getting uh, flying out of Kuwait, stopping in Ireland for a layover, and then uh, getting back to, I was told y'all flew into Cherry Point. Yep. And I was like, getting into Cherry Point and uh, getting back on Lejeune. Uh, I mean, that was also kind of, Kind of weird, I guess, just because my only time to Cherry Point before that were like going to and from ITX, so it was just just good. I don't know, kind of weird, I guess, just being there like for coming back from a deployment as opposed to like only being gone for a month. But um, I think we got there around like probably like two or three a.m. Um, yes, yeah, so we got there around two or three a.m. and then we went back to the June. I think by time everything was like said and done with like uh turning in weapons and all that it was probably like around 5 a.m i want to say did y'all have like a homecoming we did we did which was pretty pretty nice did your wife show up she did how was that that was that was that was great it was nice it was just like it was it was kind of funny it's just like we had uh we were driving like another uh, couple home so we dropped them off and then we were going back to our apartment i was kind of like i don't really know what to say right now <laughs> it's, it's almost kind of awkward in like a weird way but after talking a bit things were fine and everything it was just i'm just kind of like i don't know what to say so much has happened <laughs> in such a short period of time yeah and the, i mean have y'all talked about it at all like how is is she like really understanding about it and like helping she, you out and all that yeah she's she's been great about it she's uh yeah, she's been super understanding. She's not like really pushy about it or anything like that. So, you know, if I'm if I want to talk about it, she's totally down to listen, but she doesn't kind of pry, which I definitely appreciate. I'm sorry. What's trying cat. to do? No, you're good. <laughs> it's like clawing at the chair. <laughs> I thought that's what that sound was. Just wants your attention, huh? Exactly. <laughs> and uh. Yeah, how was it being uh being back at like the battalion area on Lejeune, and then eventually when y'all did get post deployment leave? Because I heard it was a long time between getting back and when y'all did get post deployment. Yeah, yeah, they uh they pretty much just moved it into the Christmas leave block. So I think when when we got back in like late September, early October, I think so. Um. It was pretty great that first week. I think it was they. We didn't really come into work, and then I think we work was pretty laid back for the most part. For like the next month, and I think they kind of got back into the swing of things after that. But I ended up going on terminal like the second or third day of December. So I luckily missed out on kind of them getting back into training. Also, oh, did you even go on post deployment, or did you just go straight on terminal? I, I just went straight on terminal. Which was also kind of in and of itself just weird. <laughs> well, when you when you got out, what was the first thing you did? Where'd you go? Um, oh man, I ended up. So my wife, she worked in New Bern. So her last day at her job was actually a week after I went on terminal. So I kind of just hung out at our apartment for the week and just was packing everything up. But uh, after that, yeah, we got a U-Haul and and drove back up to New York. Started trying to, I guess, get situated here. How do you spend any time with, uh, like your parents or her parents? Are you all extended family? Yeah, yeah, which has been really nice because uh, 
both of our families are like from the same area and we live pretty close by to them now. Have you, I mean, as far as interaction, interacting with them after all this, I mean, are they aware and like kept track of or like knew everything that was going on? They did. Yeah. Yeah. They were, yeah. My mother was pretty worried during the whole thing. Understandably so. I just ask because like I've heard different things from different guys. Like some guys went home and got nothing and some guys went home and their families were aware and very understanding of everything that had just gone down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I had a, I know. Yeah. A few dudes who kind of, unfortunately they, their parents were not super aware or not necessarily super understanding, I guess of it, but I've been very lucky to kind of have them be, you know, understanding about it. I haven't really talked about it with them and I, I don't, probably won't do it anytime soon but they have been you know really good at kind of i guess dealing with everything so yeah i mean it's i mean you probably oh i don't know it's a hell of a thing to go through you know just yeah i've uh i mean yeah not to i get well i've definitely been uh i've been going to uh therapy at like the vet center uh, in, in my hometown, that's I've pretty much done that actually, I think since a couple months after getting out. So that's been super helpful and just kind of navigating stuff. I think that actually reminds me of something my, my wife keeps getting on me about asking you guys because, uh, and she was just wondering, like getting back, like did anybody like in an, any kind of official capacity or even just like. I'll, I'll even go a step further and say like any kind of like staff and COs or like try to talk to any of you guys about trying to process everything that just gone down. Um, and all, yeah, for, for us, at least for, I can't necessarily speak for, I guess people from different companies, but I, I do know when we got back to Kuwait, like weapons company leadership pretty much pulled us aside. All of us, we had, they had a pretty long talk about like, Gunny Cat talked, our first sergeant talked, our master sergeant talked, and they'd all been to Iraq and Afghanistan before. And they all pretty much told us straight up, they were like, you know, more or less, like, don't let this shit consume you. Like, our first sergeant told us a story of how he, I think he had lost a, a, a buddy on, like, I think one of his, like, maybe his first or second deployment, I think it was. But um, he... Basically, he just, all he told us was like, yeah, my work never suffered or anything like that. Like I still showed up and I still PT'd and I, you know, did my job and all that. And that was great. But, you know, I was a straight up, you know, functioning alcoholic for, you know, 10 plus years. And, you know, I finally, you know, ended up going to therapy, you know, as like, I think a, a gunny or something like that. And he said, and he, you know, said you basically just the whole, like, you know, there's no stigma around it. Like he wished he did it sooner and stuff like that. But they all were, I mean, pretty honest with us about like, you know, don't let this shit swallow you up and like if you got to talk to someone you know that's you know that that's totally fine it's better to do that than you know than to, to let it fester kind of but so they were pretty good about that for us i i can't necessarily speak to other companies i'm sure they might have had a similar talk but yeah i was just oh like, like i said my wife kept asking me about that and i was curious and uh do you feel like that was like well received message by the guys around you or anybody that was kind of like resistant to the idea of having to like go talk to somebody? Um, that's a great question. I th think it was well received, but at the same time, I'm not, cause I know a good amount of dudes have 
at least from what I've heard around, like, because our sergeant major also is kind of pushing, like, you know, talking to someone if you need to. So he said, like, I think in one of our Liberty briefs, something like that, he said, like, a good amount of people had gone out and, uh, you know, had, like, talked to, you know, to someone. I'm not necessarily sure if any of the dudes from weapons companies were uh, included in that. I think for the most part it was well-received, though, I'd say. I'd but at the same time, I, I don't know. Probably fifty-fifty, I guess. Actually, if I had to, if I had to guess, probably fifty percent of the dudes were like open to receiving it, and then, you know, fifty percent just kind of might have shrugged it off, or not necessarily shrugged it off, but at the very least, kind of been like, you know, oh, I'm fine. I don't, you know, need to talk to someone. I guess. Well, if if you're talking to somebody, it's helping. I'm, I'm glad it's helping, and I hope this helps at least a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, it does. It really, it does. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I think it helps to talk about. I think it was one of the LER guys was, uh, before I interviewed him, we were like texting back and forth and he was telling like, there's some guys that just haven't really talked to anybody or like, they're not able to talk to anybody. And it's really like messing with them. And it's just, I don't know. I hope, I hope this at least is like some kind of outlet for yourself and, uh, the rest of the guys, you know, yeah, absolutely. I I think it definitely is. I talked to a talked to a buddy actually over the weekend, dude, who I shot. Remember him, Zach? Shot. Yeah, he 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 was telling me about how it, it was. He was really glad to kind of talk about it, and it, it you know, the relief for him to kind of get things off his chest. So. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, it just I don't know, and I was kind of talking to you about this. It's like, I feel like whenever stuff like this is done, most of the time it's like maybe E5, or most of the time it's like staff and COs and officers, people like get, getting like their perspectives about things and talking to them about stuff and interviewing them. And I just feel like a lot of times, like E4s and below, E5s and below, nobody really thinks about guys like us. And in the end, I mean, as you personally experience, it's... Regardless of where decisions get made, higher on up the chain, in the end, it's guys like us, and especially you and the guys you were with, that have to like confront it face to face and deal with it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, that just reminded me of another thing I I completely forgot to mention. It pretty quick, but I I remember when we were setting up the uh, the C wire at um like at the holding area and something like that. Like it somehow wound up that in two different areas, like this girl was alone and she was probably like 11 years old. And um, the only family she had was like her uncle. Uh, and he was on another side of the sea wire. And um, we like kept going around and we were like, can we like move these people? Like she's a, a kid and she's like alone. And like, we kept getting answers from higher up, like saying like, you know, basically like different lieutenants just being like, no, people have to stay where they are and stuff like that. Um, we finally found one that was like, yeah, you know, go ahead. Like, obviously, you know, she has to be accompanied and we go to do it. And then we turn around and we see uh, another one of our dudes who was a Lance corporal and he's bringing her over anyway. And we're like, oh, did you hear, you know, we got permission. He was like, I'm just going to fucking do it anyway. I don't care. Like, it's not, you know, that's, that's wrong. I'm just going to do it myself. So it just made me think of that kind of with the, you know, the decisions that get made. I mean, to your point, the E5 and below are the ones that end up having to kind of carry it out and bear the brunt of it and, you know, deal with the effects of it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not really, 
I mean, I feel like when I was with y'all, when I was in, I expressed my feelings towards officers uh, pretty often. I don't know if you remember any of that. I, uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, especially considering the officer that we had. I don't blame you for your frustration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just, I mean, yeah, it's like feeling you want to do more, but knowing you really, you can't. And it's that battle between being the good Marine who does his job, works according to like the code and the, the traits and characteristics and everything and follows orders. And then, uh, and then the human being and confronting human desperation and suffering right in front of you is, I don't know, choosing which you, which one you, you are in the moment and then choosing and then based on that choice, making so many others, you know, just, I don't know if that's getting a little too deep for me, but I don't know. No, I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's just kind of like, there's, I, there's times that I'm, I think that time was probably one of them. I think there are things that like, in some cases, not always, but there, you know, in some cases there's probably a difference between like being a you know, quote unquote, good Marine on paper. And then like a, a good person, just like, you know, cause a bunch of lieutenants didn't have the balls to like go against the grain or whatever. They weren't ruffling feathers, but at the same time, I would argue that's a pretty messed up thing to do to leave a, a kid on a company like that. So. Yeah. And it's just like, what authority am I allowed to exercise and what authority am I willing to exercise? Yeah, you, you know, you just yeah. uh, fuck. I just again, I think I said this to you already when we were texting, but like, I don't know, especially like when I heard that y'all were over there, especially after I heard the bomb went off. The I just really wish that I was, I, I really, I wished I was still in and I wish I was there, you know. I mean, you can ask my wife, I me, mean, I still think of y'all. I mean, as brief a time as it was that y'all were in my section in my platoon like i still think of y'all as like my boys you know and i just feel like y'all were there in that situation and i wasn't i feel like i should have been but like I, I don't know you know yeah i mean it's yeah it's definitely tough i mean yeah i mean i still definitely i think of all the you know dudes from you know, from Charlie LAR and still view them as boys and stuff like that as well. And I know, I guess Fritch was kind of getting some texts from some dudes that were with LAR and I think they had gotten out previously before kind of, and so they didn't make the mute, but you know, they were kind of saying that, you know, they wish they were over there with us. And I totally get that. And he was kind of responding saying like, well, you know, in a way I'm kind of, kind of glad you're not. I kind of knew what he meant as well. It was just, it's, it's a really, I don't know. It's all just, it's all just tough. Yeah, I can't remember last year when I was like, when I was like, everything was going down. And I was finding everything out, and I, I think I, maybe I tried to text you in Wayland, maybe a couple of guys that were over there with LER. I can't, I can't remember. I think I did. I, I just can't remember. Yeah, it might. Have. I know he. I think I think it was a couple dudes from H and S that might have texted him, but I can't remember. But I mean, if nothing else, I'm just glad y'all. I'm just glad y'all went over there and did the job and you got back in, in one piece, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, don't know, I, I guess 
do you have any feelings or anything to say about like the situation as like a whole? You know what I mean? I, not to sound, I don't know, not to sound overly corny or anything or like over the top. But I mean, I, you know, I think about it every day, I think in some capacity, I'm sure that, you know, I guess maybe most people would probably say the same thing if you asked them, but it's just, I don't know. It, it's just a really, really shitty situation. And I'm just, you know, really, I guess, just happy to be home and not there anymore, even though it was such a short time, but also just happy to be a civilian again. It's nice being normal in a way. <laughs> but It's nice yeah. being able to grow a beard again. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. Yeah, just, I don't know. Just Whenever I think of that situation, it's just it's not so much necessarily anger. It's just kind of overwhelming, just sadness, I guess. Just, I mean, I know it always would have been a shit show when we pulled out, regardless of what time, but it's just, you know, it's just sad. It's really sad. You know, there are people that we that helped us that we probably left behind, and, you know, there are people that suffered and, you know, were killed and, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and try to like armchair general it and be like, you know, say what should have been done. It's just, you know, it's just a sad situation all around. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to like give some kind of like political opinion or like, Oh, if you were, if you were sec def or uh joint chiefs of staff, what would you have done? Like, I mean, at this point, what's done is done. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, do you, if there's anything else you remember that you want to talk about, or if you just have any like final thoughts for a late get out of here, I know I already made you miss lunch. <laughs> not here for totally good. Uh, nothing I can really think of. I think that was just about it. Yeah. If anything, I hope that I guess just I don't know. Maybe this is me being too optimistic. Just I hope that we as a as a country really just consider like we really think about it i think not before we get into our next conflict that's just you know that's kind of it i guess yeah definitely saying that and being optimistic in the situation yeah and it's we're currently in yeah and it's it's i don't know it's messed up because obviously i mean i think there was good reasons for going to afghanistan but I, i don't think we need to stay there for 20 years but i don't know it's Maybe that's my my best way to sum up the situation, just saying I don't. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, and I've like I've like researched it and looked it up and like read books on it and shit at, at this point. And it's just but at the end of the day it is what it is and it's just can't undo what's been done. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I can't express how much I appreciate the time and the willingness to sit down and talk and uh I mean, if you ever, something comes up and uh, you remember something, or if you just want to talk about something over again, I mean, you know where to find me. Just let me know. We can do this again, or you just like, don't have to record it or anything. Just talk, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate, you know, you letting me talk and, you know, I definitely, I think was a big weight off. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Nah, I hope it was. And uh, yeah, if there's anybody... I'm actually I'm actually talking to Waylon tomorrow. Got him scheduled for tomorrow, and uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know if there's anybody that you know about that would you think would be willing to talk. Just, I mean, you have all my information. Just go ahead and give it to them and tell them where they can find me, and 
if they try to call me or text me and I don't get back to them right away, just hold tight because I will. And uh, yeah, man, just I'm thank you. I'm very appreciative. Hope that I hope that comes across. Absolutely. And I'm I'm glad you're doing good and I'm glad y'all got got out of there all right. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you again. And uh, I don't know, I'm I'm sorry it took me. I don't know why it took me like a year to think about doing something like this. I could fucking kick myself for it, to put it lightly, you know. Oh, well, better late than never, you know. And I mean, you know, if I if there's anything else I can help with, or do you remember Corbett from LAR? Yeah, actually, uh, I got his number and information. I haven't managed to schedule an interview with him yet, but I got all his stuff. Gotcha. Okay, I was going to say, he might be another one that definitely be willing to talk about everything. Did you deal, deal with him over there, like meet up with him or anything? Or A little bit, oddly enough. I was on the, uh, we were on the East Gate kind of at the same time for a little while. Not not too long, but for a bit there, which was kind of just crazy, the coincidence. but. Yeah, I'm definitely planning on talking to him. Just uh, he seems like a busy dude, so it's just trying to get him to sit down for a while. <laughs> yeah, I said I know he was traveling a bit recently, so yeah, he's been up to a lot of stuff. But yeah, man, I'll let you go uh, play with your cat. <laughs> it seems like they really they really want your attention. Yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> they definitely do. All right, man. See you around. I'll try to stay in touch. Absolutely. See you around. Thank you again. No problem, dude. See ya. See ya.